that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And like, if you really understand Bitcoin and you're playing chess with this, these like establishment knuckleheads, the only way to win the game is to fucking flip the board over, stand up and be like, I'm doing it a different way. What's cooking, everybody? You asked, so you shall receive. This is the Bitcoin episode. If you want to know anything about Bitcoin, if you don't, or if you know a lot about Bitcoin and want to hear the philosophy behind it and just have a nice, good conversation as if you're sitting here, right here with us, discussing it yourself, this is the podcast for you. I am joined in the bunker today by none other than Mr. Matt Kemenosh, a.k.a. Bitcoin Jesus. Mac is somebody who's been in Bitcoin for a very long time. He is a true Bitcoin maximalist. Is he the son of Satoshi, aka the son of God, and delivering Bitcoin unto us and eventually maybe dying for the sins of fiat so that Bitcoin can live? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I'm, I'm clearly kidding. But you get the picture. As far as what we touched today, there is not much that we didn't touch when it comes to Bitcoin and the system that it is and the opportunity that it represents. Before I get to some of that list, though, I do want to say this. While I am an open believer in Bitcoin, and I would even say not the believer that, that Mac is because he's on a whole nother level. But while I am an open believer in Bitcoin and invest my own money in it and have for a long time, I am very, very, very open to the contrarian opinions as well. So if if there are people who speak out against Bitcoin and have evidence that they find behind their arguments and they want to talk about it, I am open to having someone like that in here. I want all conversations to happen. I think that's a good thing. So I'm just leaving that out there. This does not this does not need to be a constant like, oh, Bitcoin, and we won't hear anything else. I like the other opinions, whether I agree with them or not. So just keep that in mind. But today, today we talked about among many other things, I'm just going to list off some of the highlights. We talked about the Bitcoin standard, gold and Bitcoin, history of money problems around the world, which that'll blow your mind if you don't know some of those. Who is Satoshi? Is it Pomp? Cyprus, like the country in the middle of nowhere in the Mediterranean. Wait till you hear that one, too. That will also blow your mind. The early days of Bitcoin, Bitcoin and freedom, private keys, the media and the scumbags that they are, trading critical thinking for safety, money and wars but can't feed the poor, the Cantillon effect, New York City and Miami, brainwashing propaganda in the KGB, why Epstein is the fiat system, that is exactly what it sounds like, Bitcoin mining and energy efficiency, Russell Okung, libertarianism and Bitcoin, Bitcoin and the two-part party system, shit coins, Bitcoin as a unifier, and thinking of the world in terms of Bitcoin. If you don't know, you're going to know. Somewhere, years ago, in a room, long before she died, the late and not so great Christine Lagarde once said, let them eat cake. And for the record, I don't think Christine Lagarde's dead, but she's old as fuck, so she probably did say that, and that probably did happen, and she's still old. So anyway... The point is, people like that, and Christine Lagarde's like a French lady who's like in charge of some kind of like money distribution, and I don't know. But she's like in charge of money, like, you know, one of the elites. These people have continually, conti well, words are hard, continually printed money for years and years and years and taken the value right out of your bank account from under your nose without you knowing, and not one of them. Whether it be in America here at the Federal Reserve, which we'll talk about today, or in the European Union with the ECB or whatever China's bank is, 
Not one of these people has ever been elected to office, yet they have wielded power over your hard-earned money. So whether or not Bitcoin is the solution is actually irrelevant in that light. The most relevant point there is that that system, the quote-unquote fiat system, has been something that has been disintegrating for a long time because governments and the people who are unelected within them ruin it. So that will be a big theme today, and it is something that regardless of whether or not you like Bitcoin or are going to like Bitcoin after this, is a very, very relevant conversation to all of us. I will also add that some of this is deep. And then a lot of it is very, very, very understandable. We kept things high level. So if there's like the occasional tangent where you're like, what the fuck did they just say? Just ignore it. We'll, we'll continue on. And, and it's, it, it's very simple and, and it was very wide ranging, very wide ranging. So thank you to Mac for coming in. He will be in again. And for now, you're just going to have to have this episode where he talks pretty much all about Bitcoin and not about also his, his work as well, which is extremely interesting. We did not get to that today. We will get to that next time he's here. Anyway, if you're not subscribed, please subscribe. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And if you're on YouTube right now, hit that subscribe button, hit that bell button, and leave a like and comment on the video if you would, please. And also, again, subscribe. To all the people who have left five-star reviews with a comment on Apple Podcasts, thank you. You're crushing it. They're great. They're huge for new listeners coming in and deciding whether or not to give the show a shot. So I really, really appreciate it. If you haven't had a chance to do that yet and can take a minute to leave a review with a comment, I would really, really appreciate you as well. That said, you know what it is. I'm Julian Dory, and this is Trend Fire. Let's go. This is one of the great questions in our culture. Where is the news? Everyone understands this, but few seem to do it. If you don't like the status quo, start asking questions. What, what kind of what kind of liquor we got here tonight? We got Wade and Bo. Mmm. Never had it before. I say this real yeah, fast. Go for it. Go for it. Thank you for bringing it. Of course. Wade and Bo. It's pretty good so far. Hmm. Forty-five. I like that. What's going on, man? Nothing, man. Good to to be here. Thanks for having me on. I know we've been chatting about this for a bit. Of course, of course. You're like my Bitcoin rabbi. That's what I tell people when I need some information. I go straight to you. We might uh, we might get religious here. I have some pretty passionate beliefs about Bitcoin and the Grateful Dead. So, any chance to talk about both of those? I am. I'm pretty sure we're gonna have a religious experience. I like that you use that word because you know, in a lot of ways. People talk about Bitcoin and like the Bitcoin community and they talk about how religious it is and it's like a slight. And the thing is, what is fiat? Fiat's pretty religious. I mean, you got to you got to have the belief in that system not failing at any, you know, potential turn in the road to actually continue it for so long even when things go wrong and the Fed prints a lot of money, no one questions anything. Yeah. Like did you see that uh, Reddit investors tweet today? No. Was it or was like yesterday? And it was like all of the commodities are up like 30 to 100%. Lumber's up 100%. Uh, oil's up 35%. And then they tell you that there's no inflation. And I think that's like why I'm so drawn to Bitcoin in terms of like honesty and transparency. Like I'm so sick of these central banks like running roughshod over everyone's life and basically like pissing in the wind, telling you like it's raining. Like there's absolutely inflation out there. And 
it's ridiculous that they can continue to lie to people's faces. And I like that Bitcoin is kind of like an has become, at least in my opinion, like an arbiter of truth, like a universal mm. measuring stick in the global economy. And I think that will continue to evolve. And I think that's a super positive development for, for really humanity as a whole. When did you get into Bitcoin? So I got into Bitcoin through gold. Used to sell mm. gold and silver for quite some time. Wait, that's a way different entry to Bitcoin than I've ever heard. So you were on that side. Yeah, I was on that side. Um, kind of selling gold and silver right after the last bull market in mm. gold and silver. So late to the party, kind of like the business was struggling, I would say, right? In terms of like gaining clients when the asset that you're selling is dropping precipitously from like 1800 down to... 1100 not the easiest sale. So some of the companies I or the company I was working for was looking for a way to diversify and basically like bring in more business. And I was that was kind of right at the time when Bitcoin was sort of being built out or the infrastructure was being built out. So you could put Bitcoin inside of retirement accounts, which is primarily how we were dealing. So what year is this? This is like 2015, 2016. Oh, wow. So like right before the 2017 bull market. In crypto. So, you know, I was like, hey, this looks fascinating. I'm open to kind of like diversifying my earning potential. Like, let's see what Bitcoin's about. Coming from gold and silver, I had always kind of like derided it or written it off like, oh, that's magic internet <laughs> currency. So, you know, shame on me for, you know, having had an opportunity to look at Bitcoin when it was like $200. But I think it's always better late than never on that front. I'm trying to think if it was 2015, 2016, though, you were still looking at it before is at 1000 yeah. All that. yeah, yeah, it was yeah. what like 400, 500 yeah. ish, roughly. In there. Yeah, um, and then just kind of started going down that that rabbit hole that I think you know most people that are still in Bitcoin experience and went through you know the different altcoin phases as as you and I have discussed. Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of like circled back to to Bitcoin because to me I think. You know, the way that I, I think about it, like we're separating money and state, right? Like you're talking about like fiat as a religion. Like I think this is our best chance to take money out of the hands of government who have proven to be totally inept at mm -hmm. <laughs> basically issuing currency. And like I, I'm a big believer that like if you fix the money, you fix the world. Like I think if you look around right now, everyone's so agitated, right? Like don't you feel like we're in like an agitated 100% state um, mm. like people are rightfully angry but I, I think they don't know why they're angry and if they knew what was like the source of that like consternation and like angst like to me it comes back to kind of like the top down structure mm. of central banking like people feel like they can't get ahead because the currency is always being manipulated like you can't save if, if the central bank's always printing money so I kind of view there's like a lot of left versus right in this country. Like to me, we should all take a step back. Like we have a lot of things in common with our neighbors. And like mm. one of those things that we have in common is like central banking is the enemy of like the common person. All right. There's a lot to unpack here. And I want to, <laughs> I want to talk about all this. So some we're going to circle back to, Sure. but I think the point you just made is important even beyond like I like how you said it was top down mm -hmm. because money and health are the two things that tie everyone together sure. regardless of who you are what your background is or what you believe mm -hmm. it's if you want to call money taboo fine it's a reality it pays for everything you do so when you look at it 
people in in your mind getting fucked by central banks are then taking their anger and putting it in other places, not realizing, if I'm restating you correctly, that the real problem lies in the fact that, as you said, they can't get ahead. So they can't make enough money to get by. They they wonder why the minimum wage hasn't changed. They wondered why they wonder why the dollar doesn't seem to buy them as much anymore, or maybe just inherently what it did five years ago. And what you're saying is that we have this unelected group of officials mm-hmm. at the Fed who are placed there. I believe they're all appointed by the president. Sure. So an elected president, but he appoints these people who then make these decisions when they have the Fed meetings every quarter and frankly more than that mm-hmm. to say like, okay, well, where there was $2 right there, now there's 3 Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think the, the breakthrough for me was like thinking about, we, like we don't study money. No, we don't. Like, and if you think about it, money is like the original technology. All it is is like a storage of your time to exchange for a good or service as a later da- at a later date, right? So I never thought about it that way. I like that. I never until, heard that. Yeah, until like getting – I think it's from safety and from, from the Bitcoin standard. Like all money is is you storing your time and effort to exchange for something you need at a later date. So like once I kind of wrapped my head around that, I was like, these people are fucking stealing from me. Yeah. And like I, I find that to be – unacceptable particularly they're they're not elected like you said right like if there's only a few insiders that can change the rules there's really no rules at all right and i think you're you're seeing that like unfold in in financial markets right now like it's just stimulus after stimulus like i think they've totally lost control and you know i used to think they would be hostile to bitcoin but now i think maybe they're open to bitcoin as like a soft landing because fiat has just become a joke if you're if you're paying attention so wait you think that the government i won't even say the fed but the government <laughs> is going to be open to a let's get the buzzwords out there let's get them rolling a decentralized system of currency that operates entirely on the internet without the purview ability or even the ability to have control over it from the government itself whose sole eminence of power derives from the fact that they help determine how money moves to places, like how the economy, like what policies are going to set, how the economy works, mm-hmm. how they, I mean, the IRS is is collecting money, yeah. right? Like that's how they fund it. So if they lose control of money, that's always the argument that I'm not sure about. And I hear it like in the libertarian mm-hmm. Bitcoin community all the time where they're like, no government, all Bitcoin. And I'm like, what, how how could that happen? And then to hear you say right now, oh, I think the government might be open to that as a soft landing. It just surprises me. Yeah, like, I'm still kind of working through the the thesis um, in my head, but, like, you see, like, U.S. senators, uh, who is it, Cynthia Loomis, yep. you see, like, uh, Francis Suarez in, in Miami. I think people are, are starting to, to understand it in terms of it being, like, an emergent system that they can't stop. So I think there will always be, like, government, but what I think we're going to see in, like, the very near future is, like, a, a mobile class of capitalized people via bitcoin where instead of this like omnipresent like suffocating again like top down fear the government like i think governments are going to have to start competing to attract bitcoiners and their intellectual capital as well as like their actual capital so it's just going to flip that dynamic on its head where government becomes more additive and competitive versus suppressive if that makes sense whoa okay i was not expecting that so 
the one thing that I'm not really sure how to concept in my head there is attracting Bitcoin intellectual capital. Because at the end of the day, even though it is still a complicated system for mm-hmm. people who just aren't used to it, right? They're yeah. used to money screen, you, you hand it out, wait, it's digital? What, yeah. what is this? It's on the internet? Even though that part is complicated, when you actually get into it and break down what is Bitcoin and you get to, okay, there's going to be 21 million Bitcoins total mm-hmm. by year 24 or 2140, like it's done. And that means the supply is capped. It can't be changed. It's on the blockchain, which means no one can hack it. And people buy and trade it and place value in it by adopting it. Mm-hmm. Once you get that, it's pretty simple. Right. So how much intellectual capital do you need to operate that? Because it's not it's not like altcoins, or some of them at least, where – I guess a lot of them, where it's human beings who are operating it on the other end. Like even Ripple, who operates XRP. (laughs) They can say whatever they want, but it's true. Uh, Ripple. (laughs) can't believe I ever owned that. Um, We're going to talk about that too. Sad day for me. Maybe like let me rephrase intellectual capital. I think they'll be looking to attract capital, Bitcoin capital. Mm. People that own a lot of Bitcoin and are basically building the rails of like a new economy in and around Bitcoin. Like you see them starting to do it with like Bitcoin Beach in El Salvador where they have this like little zone in El Zante, like of El Salvador, where it's like a circular Bitcoin economy. So So nothing else in there. Yeah. They're just like exchanging via Lightning Network. What's this called? Bitcoin Beach. Bitcoin Beach. And how yeah. long has that been around? I think it's been around for like a year or so. I need to get down there to surf, so now what's the I mean, was that the government there, like the local government saying we want to try this out? No, no, hell no, no, okay. no. So how did this? How did this be allowed sh- to exist? I'm not sure. Like I haven't, I haven't fully researched it. I've just seen it. I've seen like Bitcoiners pop in and out there, but that type of environment, right? Where I think the narrative is always that like the government's going to be hostile towards mm-hmm. Bitcoin, but I think the cat's out of the bag on that front. When you have like Tesla and MicroStrategy and Square, like. You're going to fight with their, like, phalanx of corporate attorneys? Like, they're not going <laughs> to go down, like, no. without a fight, so... Sailor's out of his mind, too. He's like, fucking he's like let's guy. fucking go. <laughs> I fucking love that guy. Um, so, no, I just think... I, I think it'll bring, like, some sanity, right? Like, you know... I think we just, like... This past year... What's the best way to phrase this? Like, just just looking at the way, no matter what you feel about, like, any specific issue, like, looking at the events that have unfolded over the last year and, like, looking at the federal government, really any government, and being like, oh, these people should have more power, like, to me, that is, like, mind-boggling. Agreed. These people have, like, muffed every line. Like, they've literally, (laughs) they haven't done one thing right. So, like, I just see, it comes back to that point that i i think maybe i didn't finish earlier where it's like money is the original technology right it's how we measure all of our time it's it's a layer of communication right there's like language music and money is like a way that that we communicate and exchange value and like if somebody's manipulating that like core base layer of society it creates all these friction points so like if we have a system like bitcoin that's unchangeable it allows people to like plan for the future better and to have like an agreed upon method of exchange that like you have a level of confidence in and it just it's a, a sturdier base to build i think like a more robust society than you know like 50 central bankers around the world like constantly constantly manipulating rates to you know help their friends out on wall street 
I don't know what the psychological term is I'm, I'm trying to think of to describe how I want to approach the inflation question with you, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. First of all, you mentioned Safadine earlier with yeah. the Bitcoin standard. We'll, we'll definitely talk about that because he wrote this book and it really it, it gives – I did remember that line, by the way, once you explained it. Can't claim but, it as original. But yeah, but the, it's, it's, it is a great line and he broke down – what I loved about it is he broke down the history of money yeah. in the first – basically like full half of the book. Yeah, he doesn't even talk about Bitcoin. Yeah, it's totally just about like, here's how they traded in the 1200s in Africa with, you Shells. know, exactly. So it, it starts to give you imagery of how value and trade of value works. You know, you always heard people talk about the tulip market yeah. in the 1600s yeah. and people don't think about, oh, when tulips got popular, people could go get tulip seeds and grow more tulips. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's inflation in and of itself. But when you're talking about all these central banks, and you know, it's it's like the buzz lines we all talk about mm-hmm. it. You and I go back and forth all the time online about this, and it's like, okay, then people who aren't in money or aren't looking at it every day and how it works go, all right, what does that, what does that even mean? I still bought something on Amazon today. Yeah. And one of the questions I always have, and I feel like I have pretty good answers to it, but I want to talk through it on a podcast, is if. All of the central banks are inflating their currencies, Mm -hmm. which is a virtual impossibility that they're all going to work in concert. Let's get that straight. But let's say in a utopian society, they all work in concert and they all inflate their their currencies at the same time. How does it not even out over time? Because that means everyone's value in their pocket is technically going up but not up at the same time. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I see what you're saying. I guess what you're exchanging that money for is still finite. Right, which is like why you're seeing the commodities prices currently spike, and then I think you also have to ask like who is inflation good for, right? Like this, that's like this whole Keynesian notion that like it's like the broken what's it called? It's like the broken window fallacy. It's like I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like yeah. oh, you know, a criminal goes and breaks a window. Like that's good for the economy. You have to put like a new window in. Like there has to, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't make any sense. So. Wasn't, wasn't Keynes like pretty fucked up too? I don't yeah. know a hell of a lot about him, but yeah, he's like a pedophile. Oh, that was him. Yeah. Yikes. So, okay, continue. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I had to get that one in there. <laughs> we'll see if that makes the cut. Um, but you know, I don't think inflation is good for like the the average person, right? Like, it's good if you're you know issuing currency. Um, if you're the one taking on like all the debt, but for like the average end user, particularly like when we have tech that is deflationary, like I just don't, inflation is good for the banks. I don't think it's good. It's not good for me and you at the supermarket. Why is it good for the banks? That's a good question. You probably know better than, than me. Like in fine. I don't, don't. because what I would say just as a, as an upfront on that is that with banks, we were always looking at rates. You know, that's how you make a spread. Mm -hmm. And so when you have such low rates, if they're like, maybe if they're low enough that with the clientele or companies you're dealing with, they're big enough that they can just do massive shit at scale. Mm -hmm. Okay, it works well. But, it, you know, if you're making a spread of, you know, 30 basis points on very low rates, whereas you could be making a spread of like 60 at at a higher rate system, uh, math is math. You know, that adds up. So... Hmm. I got to think on that one, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, have a good, I don't have a good answer for you on that one. Let me 
come back to me on that one. Okay. <laughs> but at, going back to some of the gold question, though, because you were in that, a lot of people during COVID have been now trying to say, I mean, Peter Schiff's like one of the biggest ones out there. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm going to hit all of them today. Who fucking hates Bitcoin. Yeah. And people are now, like him, are trying to say, run to gold. Because gold is, is tried and true. What I will say is that I personally don't really have a hell of a lot against gold because, and I think Safadin in, in the mm -hmm. book broke this down extensively, but gold, you know, we are not mining more than, I think the maximum amount is 2.5% supply in a yeah. given year. So it does hold value and we have decided as a society across the world that this physical shiny object called gold we like, right? Yeah. So I'm not necessarily against it. My issue is... It, it can be a volatile market, number one, not the Bitcoin sure. is. But number two, it's held its value against fiat over time, but it's not convenient. Mm -hmm. You can't just like pick up a, a brick of gold and walk to the store and say like, oh, let me, let me chop you off yeah. a brick. Whereas I, I think there was a famous picture on Twitter like, I don't know, six months ago or something where it showed all these bars of gold and then showed a flash drive yeah. and said – these two things are equal, but you'd never know it. Sure. And the flash drive has the same value on it, but in Bitcoin. I don't see why people like Peter can't see that that at least has a lot of potential. I think Peter's playing the heel at this point in time. <laughs> like, have you seen his interactions with his son on Twitter? A little bit, because his son's a huge Bitcoiner, His right? son's a huge Bitcoiner. And, um, and they're basically, like, arguing. I think it's, like, the perfect way for him to adopt Bitcoin, but, like, still get free marketing i mean i tell bitcoiners on twitter don't engage with the guy like his his arguments like lack any intellectual sophistication so it's just like a very cheap engagement play and i don't have anything against gold as well like the bitcoiners have that website like what the fuck happened in 1971 like when we went off the gold yeah. standard and you can kind of like look at the inflation of money and and where things have like inflated and deflated but i think you made a great point and I think that's why Bitcoin gets compared to digital gold because it has that low stock to flow that you're you're mentioning in terms of like how much is produced each year, but it's highly transportable and way more divisible. So it's basically gold, but improved in every way. Well, the other question that comes up for people that know like a basic amount about it is the transaction speed. Sure. And then no one, I don't want to say no one, a lot of people don't understand the mining. They sure. know it exists. They understand that like, okay, there's some sort of computation mm -hmm. that goes on and it has to happen in the market. The network has to do it. Fuck if they know how it actually <laughs> happens. And and I won't pretend to really understand that process either. either. It's like a little weird. But essentially you are relying on the way Satoshi set up the system, the pseudonymous founder of Bitcoin, is you are relying on computer programmers around the world to be incentivized to want to execute transactions as they happen. And so even with mass adoption at this point, there's still a delay yeah. in big transactions. So if we went, not that we could do this because it's not stable yet, it's in adoption mode, but let's just say it was somewhat of a stable cryptocurrency mm -hmm. at this point, which I know isn't the pure way to describe <laughs> Bitcoin, but you know what I mean. Sure. Like, let's say that was the case. If you went into a store and use your Bitcoin credit card, it might take three minutes to clear at the register, which we all know no one's going to do. Right. So I don't really care about that. Mm -hmm. And my perspective is this. I view Bitcoin – I'm going to borrow a line from a guy I heard a few months ago. It's brilliant. I, I view Bitcoin like the sun. It's there. 
It provides the light to the system. It is the original. It is the one that has no human being that can fuck with it. And it is it is strictly an animal of the internet. No government can control, which some people argue with me on, but I, I really do believe that. I think what it's going to enable, and this is just a hypothesis, is underneath it, you are going to have brilliant people iterate some sort of like stable currency mm-hmm. that is earmarked to Bitcoin. So Bitcoin becomes a much more utility-laden when it comes to money type gold. Right. And also more scarce than gold, just by definition, and therefore better, and within a digital universe. What are your thoughts on where Bitcoin can scale to? Sure. And do you think that Bitcoin could, in a soon enough fashion, become fast enough on the computational end to be able to actually be the currency too? Or is it just more likely to be the main store of value like like the sun, which is not a bad thing? Yeah, not a bad thing, right? Like if it's the main store of value, that puts it at gold's market cap. So that's like $500,000 of Bitcoin. Easy. And then you think about all of the offshore money, real estate, art. Some of it's good. Some of the shit these rich people buy, highly debatable. Classic cars, wine, um, equities, bonds. Um, so, you know, if it, if it eats even a fraction of some of those markets, you're looking at seven figure Bitcoin. But I think like what you're referencing in terms of the scalability, I would say that it's happening on the top layer of Bitcoin right now, as opposed to being like earmarked underneath. I know Blockstream has like a liquid product. I know nothing about that, but I think what you'll see is like Bitcoin being kind of like the base layer and then like layered money on top of bitcoin so like lightning network would be kind of that instant exchange have you played with it like at all like ever sent any lightning payments not at all so like marty bent who does tftc tales from the crypt Mm. i've seen him on you have him like on your twitter yeah retweet yeah i'd like him um good guy um and so they're starting to play with like lightning basically twitter but with like lightning network so it's instantaneous enough in terms of payment like to see the tweets, you need to pay a small fee on Lightning Network, like 90 Satoshis, which is like 0.001 cent. Yep. And it happens instantaneously. So, and, and by the way, Satoshis are, they're the they're 0.001 of a Bitcoin. Correct. Just to, for people. Yeah, okay. of course. So um, I think you're already starting to see that like instant payments scale just in the same way that like, you know, if we go back before 1971, you know, your dollar was redeemable for certain amount of gold right so like if you built players money it was gold dollar then you had like credit cards on top of that other financial instruments i think you'll see the same thing it's already starting to happen wasn't it already cheated though because of what like because roosevelt basically just yeah. took gold from people and then re-earmarked the price yeah they like 6102 it, i think I think that's what it is and i'm roughly estimating here so don't take these numbers literally but i think it was something like 20 dollars per something of gold he then outlawed owning bullion so the government forcibly bought it back correct <laughs> and then immediately repriced it i don't even know how this works at like 35 dollars. correct yeah so you just said before 71 which is when nixon officially took us mm-hmm. off the gold standard meaning he took i'm just trying to give context for yeah of course. took the the paper money the dollar 
and separated it from the gold. So as you said, meaning you can't go to the bank and redeem your dollars for straight gold. It's not earmarked the same way it was the day before. Yeah. Because it, it can fluctuate in price. Before that gold standard, it couldn't. But I'm saying between like say 1937 or whatever it was when, De- when Roosevelt did that in 1971, you already had lost significant value, maybe, I don't know, 40 to 70% on your value of gold. Had you owned it before then or it's passed down in your family because the government already just like totally subjectively decided that, no, it's worth something new now. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, their, their meddling in the currency has has gone on for, for quite some time. And I think, you know, what I envision is, again, like kind of what Safdine talks about is like a renewed renaissance, right? Like if we're like you have so many smart people on this podcast, like I talk to so many smart people at work, like can't imagine what the potential is. Like when people are kind of freed from the shackles of, of central banking and like constant currency devaluation and like the blue collar guy that works hard, you know, why does he have to be like a financial expert and like have a super complex portfolio? What if he just has like a simple, savings vehicle that allows him to like feel comfortable to pour more into his work like pour more into his family like we've there should be a simple saving mechanism for people across the entire world and i think bitcoin as like a store of value has the ability to do that because it's deflationary and like the ultimate inflationary environment and it's it's straightforward like you said and when you say deflationary just just for people we touched on this earlier yeah at least quickly but it's capped at 21 million bitcoins, mm-hmm. meaning that once we get to year 2140 or – is it 2140 or 2141? 2140-ish. Yeah, right. Yeah. So 2140, we'll just call it that. Once we get to that year, there will never be another one created, and that cannot be changed. Correct, 100%. So it's a hard cap. It's baked into the code. And to your earlier point about like how it's better than gold, that's one thing that I missed um, in terms of it being highly divisible. Highly portable, right? The rails of the internet. You can't stop it. The portability is huge. Yeah. And then verifiable, right? Like that is what maybe really separates Bitcoin is that anybody can run a note. Like it's lightweight enough that you can run it on any laptop. You can run it on like a Raspberry Pi. So anybody really anywhere in the entire world with an internet connection can verify the the supply of Bitcoin, verify that their Bitcoin is, is well and truly theirs versus gold. It's anonymous, though. What, the notes? In, in, in the sense that, because I think people get hung up on this sometimes. I know when I was first learning mm-hmm. about Bitcoin back in 2017, I was still like, wait. Because, you know, you're used to a banking system yeah. where, like, they can go in and check the record. And it'll be like, Julian D. Dory bought this at whatever. In Bitcoin, you have a code, and it puts personal responsibility on you. So when you do a transaction, you have access to what that, you know, 50-character sure. symbol of the transaction was. So what you're saying is that... If I needed to prove that something happened, that I had X money, and in this case, Bitcoin, I can go back and say, here is my, here's my key, number mm-hmm. one, and also here's my transaction data. And so without my name, it then goes in and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that happened because like, it's on the blockchain and, and it's, there's already a record of it. Yeah, 100%. Okay. I mean, it's anonymous to a certain extent, right? But like there's – it's not as anonymous as people would make it seem. Like it's pretty easy – to do that forensic work. What I, what I think is important is that the optionality of it, and there's like no 
coercion to it. Like anybody that wants to participate can kind of send transactions. And I think that's important because in the U.S., like you and I have access to banks. Like we don't have banking problems, but, you know, in Venezuela, Argentina, Turkey, like it's it's kind of like an Anglo-centric viewpoint to be like, oh, like the current banking system works fine. Like maybe for me and you, but like not not worldwide. Do you know a lot about like the Venezuela one, for example? At like a high level, like I see the pictures of donuts where the currency was like this high and now to get a donut, yeah. like it's this high. It's like a pretty visual reminder of, of what debasing a, a currency looks like. And I think Venezuela is a great example in the sense that like they're a pretty energy or resource rich country. Like I remember yep. maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, like they have a ton of oil. Yeah. You should be in like a very strong position in terms of like global trade and they've just tweaked their currency so much that you know people are literally it's like the weimar republic in germany all over again people are wheelbarrowing in like (laughs) cash to get like a a cup of coffee can you tell people what they did in world war one there the weimar republic that's wild and people don't understand because you talked about it earlier money makes everything top down Mm mm-hmm I would make the argument, and I think I'm going to win this argument 130 times out of 100, that the entire reason Hitler happened and World War II therefore then happened yeah. was because of what the Weimar Republic did, not on the battlefield in World War One, what they did off of it with their money. Yeah, I think that's a huge, huge part of it um, in terms of where to start with that one. Because, you know, if you look at some of the charts of like U.S. dollar... And like what what the mark looked like back then, oh, it's, a, yeah. it's a little it's a little bit sketchy. But and like some of like the side effects too, like people kind of became like day traders. Like it evokes like the whole Robin Hood <laughs> GameStop thing. But the yeah, OG day traders, the OG J- day traders. But um, yeah, I mean, look, they they basically fully debased their currency and pretty much wrecked their economy, and it allowed somebody to come in that. <laughs> I mean, we all saw what happened Yeah, from, from that point in time. So, My understanding is that I guess early on in the war, they were having trouble financing mm-hmm. like some of their arms that they were getting, I guess, from disinterested parties, like other countries who were not currently involved in the quote-unquote World War. And in order to do that, they just printed money. And so eventually, especially when they lost the war and they were held at gunpoint pretty much on Mm. like, here's everything you're going to repay, then they didn't even have the money to do it and they had to print more of it. And so the world, the other currencies suddenly became earmarked against theirs Mm -hmm. at like, you know, a ridiculous 99% increase or whatever. And so as my friend Mike Spears says, they were burning fucking Deutschmarks out in the streets for fire. And you talk about the image of the donut in Venezuela. There was a line I saw, I don't remember where this was, but it got way more useful to use their boulevards or whatever the hell they're called as toilet paper than it did as actual money because the as toilet paper was worth more. The, the, The rolls of toilet paper were worth more than the money. So... If you can't realize that and and how quickly that can happen, and and you also brought up how they were energy rich. I mean, yeah, they were more of a one-dimensional economy in that way. But to your point, it was oil. 
Yeah. Even today with Tesla and all that blown up, oil is still huge. It'll eventually like start to fade, right? But yeah. it, it's and you could say it's fading a little bit now, but it is still used every day, everywhere. And just because the prices of oil went a little bit fucking nuts, their entire economy took a took a it, it basically took a swan dive, a survivable swan dive, but their government didn't accept it and said, we don't want any kind of swan dive, so you know what? We'll just print a lot of money and throw it at the problem. That 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 won't cause more of a swan dive while no one's buying fucking oil. And then no one was buying oil, and suddenly people, you know, the neighboring countries there, because it's not a big country, are suddenly like, you know, Argentina, which not a great example, but yeah. all these other countries, their their currencies were worth way more. And so then to buy a banana suddenly became difficult, and then it got down to everything. Yeah. I mean, it sounds pretty familiar <laughs> in terms of, like, what's going on on, on a global scope, right? Like, yeah. to me, that sounds like the 2008 financial crisis where Bitcoin was born. And, yeah. like, do you think Satoshi is, like, one guy? Do you think it's a group of people? Like, what's your opinion on that? Damn, I was going to ask you that. I beat um, you to it. The I, I like the the funny, like, not important things around it, like studying the language patterns. Yeah, people have done, like, in-depth research. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, where they're like, well, that word is from a more British context, and that word is from a more German-Anglo context, you know, whatever. Somebody's done, like, a time zone breakdown. Ooh, I got to see that one. I think it's Jameson Lopp did, like, a time zone breakdown in terms of when he would uh, post on, on the Bitcoin talk forum. Oh, my God. Okay, I got to check that it out. Was to, it was to disprove fucking craig wright who was saying what he's the, that fucking knucklehead that says he's satoshi the bitcoin oh, uh, the bsv guy if you say you're satoshi you're not satoshi no shit you think pomp satoshi no i don't think pomp satoshi. he's not satoshi no no chance it'd be fucking hilarious if he was though i mean that would be it would be a perfect 2021 troll but i don't i don't think it's like yeah I, I don't think it's pomp but anyway i think it is most likely multiple people i think so i also don't really care i do <laughs> i know i don't want to give this guy any any credit whatsoever so forgive me for this i do think that dan pena has one point where he's like if satoshi got revealed it's going to fucking zero <laughs> i i don't know it would go to zero but i think that could be problematic so i do think about that once in a while i i don't know like that's such a heavy piece of information that if suddenly there was a human face to it yeah i worry about that but it it seems to me that the system was set up so well that you would have to have almost i don't know if this is the right word but almost like multiple cultural viewpoints on mm -hmm. it yeah. To be able to come up with something that in some way was going to touch all these different places. And like probably the thing that sold me on that the most was when you saw one of the most discreet places in the world become a big hub of Bitcoin adoption in Cyprus mm -hmm. back in 2013. Because for people that don't know what happened there, Cyprus basically had they were i guess they were like trying to get back into the eu or something and they had a serious financial problem mm -hmm. and the eu wanted to bail them out that's an oversimplified way of putting it but the eu wanted to bail them out and the eu stipulated okay any bank accounts you have over a hundred thousand euros you're to take every euro above that yeah and the context was well anyone that's rich in cyprus is with the russian mob or yeah. something yeah i remember yeah which is which, that's how i sold gold yeah 
<laughs> sold a grip of gold off of that. <laughs> oh, my God. So, exactly. They were coming after things like gold or whatever. But when all these – and there were a lot of Russian mafia money people there, sure. But if there's even one person who worked for all their money and one day the government – what happened was they, they shut down all the banks yeah. for like a week. They had a bank holiday. And they, the customers knew that when they came back, if they had even a euro above one 100000 it was no longer going to be there. So if even one person had their money stolen from them, not just by their own government, but by a consortium of governments, they're looking at that going, I mean, would you ever trust a government again after that? I, uh, no, right? So they all, not all of them, a lot of them suddenly said, well, fucking Bitcoin doesn't do that. This crazy thing on the internet that just got, got the Silk Road guy arrested, it doesn't do that. So let, let's get that. Yeah. You know, so I, I see something like that and I'm like, that's the most like discreet culture there is. It's an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. That's not like a particularly great economy outside of so, a little bit of tourism. And when shit hit the fan, people did very interesting things mm -hmm. and they did the smart thing and they went to something that their government couldn't fuck with. Yeah. I mean, it kind of feels to me like shit's hitting the fan in this country at this point in time. Like, I think there's a reason that, that Bitcoin's at 60K the news is like so bullish yeah and you don't like there doesn't feel like the same environment as 2017 no you know what i mean people like, didn't understand it yeah. in 2017 they're kind of just like piling in like i'm not even certain retail's back yet into bitcoin i don't think so not in the same like manic bid as before like i think it's it's all institutional driven i think I agree with you, actually. I think people, yeah. like, I think banking and, like, the institutions and the man, for lack of a better term, have, like, tried to fight it for so long, and now they have recognized that, I think the cat's out of the bag. I just don't think you can stop it at this point, which is great. The guy I worked for, who is the man, like, yeah. loves, eats, sleeps, and shits financial markets. That's gotcha. all he does, right? It's like, hooked Not up to, like matrix to a bloomberg terminal 100 <laughs> percent. not a tech guy though by any stretch like you know by any stretch of the word and at banks you're not even allowed to talk about bitcoin mm -hmm. which is hilarious right and i talk with some of my guys and who are still in banks and they're smart as hell and they know what's going on and they're like it's the most counterintuitive thing ever right but i remember talking to him back i mean i had left my job i'd, I'd been gone from there maybe it was early fall something mm -hmm. like that and i'm thinking i'm gonna say bitcoin and larry's just gonna be like <laughs> fuck you <laughs> shut up and i i just said larry just please listen to me take <laughs> just take ten thousand dollars i know that's nothing to you just take ten thousand dollars you got lying in the back room throw it in bitcoin just forget about it you'll thank me in like you'll thank me within a year and he was like honestly i might do that and i and i looked at that and i'm like Holy shit, I was expecting a huge fuck Push, Pushback. Right. And and then he didn't do that. And I started to think about that. And then I started talking to – I started hitting up some people who I thought would be instantaneous, like, no, 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 on Bitcoin. And I wasn't getting a lot of that. And they still didn't understand Yeah. It, but I wasn't getting a ton of that. And I started to think, okay, these are all smart people I'm calling up. These are mm -hmm. not dumb people at all. And they're not opposed to it. Whereas if I had said that in 2017, they would have said, yeah, go buy your fucking tool, your yeah. tulips, yeah. you know? So 
I see that, and then I hear your point about the retail. The reason I agree with you is because when we think retail, we think regular American. The people I was talking about are older and successful, right? Yeah. They have a lot more money than all of us. The regular Americans still looking at things, and they still think of it this way, like, oh, well, Bitcoin's $60,000. What am I going to do? Buy the fucking one Satoshi? Yeah. You know? So that's a part of the battle, but I think that there's enough adoption. This is what I want your thoughts on. On, on at scale that at some point here retailers will continue to drip in and they already are but will continue to drip in at a faster rate and say you know what yeah you know buying point zero zero one bitcoins is actually like a good start for me to get my financial freedom yeah 100 percent. i think that's why the stacking sats movement is i love that powerful. Stacking stats. it's great yeah i think matt odell started that with um marty bent but like i guess you know, I haven't been that excited about like the Bitcoin price action. There's been a couple days where I've been excited. January, you were excited. I was pretty I early was per- January. You were I was pretty. Pumped. I was pretty fired up. You're pretty January. pumped. Yeah. But like, I have like a mental price of what it should be at in like U.S. dollars, and until it gets to that price, maybe then I'll be excited. But like, what's that price? I think I'll be excited when we're at gold market cap, which is 500k. And that's Ish. nine trillion, roughly, in, mar- in yeah. total market. It's like a ten x from here. But like, I don't know how you got involved in in crypto, so maybe we can go over that. But like, when I got involved that's in it, story. like, I was definitely of the mindset, like, oh, this is like a frothy little scheme they're running here. Like, <laughs> like let me let me get in, get out. Like, you know, I can, you know. Yeah. Flip it. Yeah. You know no, what I mean? I, I not, got like you. not that I'm got good you. at trading or anything like that, but I was like, I was still thinking in terms of US dollars. Like I can get into Bitcoin at 3K and sell it at 30, like and price my gains in US dollars. And I think the thing that's changed for me over the years is that like Bitcoin is now my unit of account. The only thing that matters to me, I don't fucking care about the price really. I care that the number of sats and the number of bitcoins that i have continues to go up that's the only thing that matters to me because that's my unit of account and like i bought these stupid fucking sneakers i have on i hadn't like bought any clothes are are they yeezys no they're fucking golden goose i'm like embarrassed to even say it live but everyone has to know now not yeezys not yeezys and like you know if i price that purchase in bitcoin like that's $500 $500 I could have put in Bitcoin that like <laughs> yeah. these are going to be like $5,000 shoes in five years, right? So just like it's totally reach like once you change your unit of account, like that was the breaking point or like psychedelic moment of it where it's like when you get far enough in Bitcoin and like you realize what the future of Bitcoin is going to be. Like the current illusion of of this like fiat system, which is fucking jury rigged and like duct taped together, like it's like the, I love that word it's, fiat. It's a, <laughs> it's like the fucking scarecrow tin man. Like it's just like this piece of shit that's duct taped together. Once you realize that there's something that's like sitting right in front of you and is way better and is a more stable unit of account, it just reframes the way that like you see everything, you price everything, the way you price risk, the way like you make financial decisions um and it's better it's for the long term like the economy now i think is like predicated 
and that this isn't an original line because <laughs> we're sourcing it. I we're, like it. we're sourcing it, but look, there's some brilliant like. Is anybody doing Twitter better than like the Bitcoiners? Like they're having they're having fun on there. They're having a lot of fun. Like they take the salt and they just like manufacture memes instantly. They're nicer. They're also like sometimes I get worried about the cultish stuff. But again, fiat religion, Bitcoin's got to be a religion. I get it. They're nicer than the XRP people. The XRP people fucking suck. Not all of them. Most of them. And the bots. Like, they're they're, they're I would like to say that they all suck. Yeah, they're they're terrible. (laughs) I've talked to a couple who are kind-hearted individuals, but with Bitcoin, like, yes, they'll shut, you know, Dan Held's aggressive, guys like that are funny, and Pierre Richard's a, a great troll. But I think he's the best troll. On the he's internet. he's pretty fucking good. because he's like you can tell the guy is like very sharp and it was yeah they're not mean yeah you know what I mean like they're 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 opinionated but they're not mean and it's it's they know a lot yeah they know a lot they've been and I like the fact that a lot of them and you're an OG with them too you've been in the game for a long time I think you said like the first time you were you were really looking at it and making at least the investment even if you were making it mm-hmm. in terms of dollars was like 2013 2014 if I remember correctly more like 20. 2015 okay yeah so either way like far before the bubble and whatever mm-hmm. and even with some mistakes that happened there everyone was making mistakes like you've been at it for a long time and a lot of that community has and then once you start to get to the smart people like the guys who study this every yeah. day and study the history of money and you get to the Safadines and stuff you start to realize okay this isn't just like some grifter salesman coming yeah. in and saying oh let's 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 pump and dump here baby right. it's not like that like that car slaps meme that's a great one What's the car slaps mean? It's like the used car salesman, like, slapping the car. He's like, you can fit so many, like, <laughs> blank in this car, like, <laughs> like XRP idiots. But, like, Pierre, I think, like, Pierre Richard, hopefully you see this. Um, and I'll track you down. I'm going to the Bitcoin conference in Austin. I'll have, a, I'll, you should, I'll have you, Cole show it to him. You should, uh, you should come to that should come down when is that i think it's in like end of august i do have to get down to austin one of my former clients is down there he's killing it and now dapolito who's on here last week is now the head of content at truck bucks and his ceo nick nanakos works down there so i'm starting to know nick hayden another guy who's like big on big on like an og on linkedin not one of the not one of the insufferable ones but um (laughs) He's he's in the sports tech community down there, so there's a lot of people going down there. So I I, I may think I about think, that. Yeah, Bitblock Boom is end of end of August. Who's so, running that? This guy Gary Leland. He's like I know a, that name. I've seen that. He's before. like a he's like a Bitcoin boomer, which I love. Like yeah. the, like the young Bitcoin guys yeah. like fucking love it when like one of these old guys like hop on the Bitcoin bandwagon. Yep. They're more excited than even if somebody's like a young kid like getting on it. Like they love the boomers to get it, but. Pierre kind of like turned me into a Bitcoiner and he has, I think like the best phrase that like summarizes the current economy and like the results of this like top down banking system that we're talking about. I don't know if you saw this tweet, it's a little dated, but he called it a high velocity trash economy. I don't think I saw that. And I think that's a great summation of like how the economy currently functions on like a fundamental level. It's all about consumerism and consumption and like high velocity, like buy, 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 have to spend. Inflation's good. Like keep spending your money. Mm, Okay. And I think COVID showed like the fragility of like the, the top down systems that we're talking about, right? Like putting aside any reaction to it or, or how it's been handled. 
certainly have thoughts on that. Um, but like a couple more glasses yeah, of that, we'll get to that. Yeah, sure. Um, but like, think like everything is optimized for that like instant gratification, and it's yes. optimized for continued velocity versus like saving for a rainy day. Like supply chains around the world are like falling apart. All of these businesses falling apart. Hard not to when you're shut down, but like a global event like this, I just think it exposed like the structural weaknesses of a fiat regime because it just like everything has fallen apart so quickly when the velocity slowed down. Like nobody has a rainy day fund. Because people had to rely. I'm going to take a leap of faith here and then tell me if I'm right or wrong on what you're saying. People had to rely on a government telling them what to do with their life, hypothetically, sure. with this whole unprecedented thing mm-hmm. that then dragged out far too long and ignored a lot of facts, right? Exactly. Yeah. Remember when that was a thing? Two weeks. So they had this whole unprecedented thing and the government was telling them what to do. And because the government also controlled what the monetary system was and then controlled, therefore, what parts of the economy were allowed to be open and were allowed to be paid under said systems, people had either complete inaccess or access depending on the importance of their job sure air quotes right there according to the government to be able to make money and provide for their family so with bitcoin it doesn't necessarily solve the problem of like government saying like oh there's a curfew tonight yeah that it doesn't do so that part of the argument i'm like not on board with but if i'm taking the leap of faith and understanding what you're trying to say if you had a system that could that could operate outside of their bounds Mm -hmm. that could you know, pay people for modern day skills and activities, whatever they are, and therefore allow people to make decisions for themselves because the government is not in a powerful enough position to tell them what to do. Therefore, you'd have a better system that allows more freedom to the individual. Thousand percent. Okay. Because it's all, to me, it comes down like my obsession with Bitcoin is a, is around like freedom. Yeah. And the, like I think one of the core beliefs that I've kind of like clung to or like has become more important to me, especially like with Bitcoin, the internet, with like the computing power that everybody has in their hands, like good ideas don't require force. Like good That's I- a great line. Like good ideas should be opt in. Like, you opt in to Bitcoin because you think it's better money. It's also open source code. If you think you can do it better, copy and paste it and go try and, like, recreate the network effects yourself. You can't do it, but it's, like, totally open. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? So, like, the network effect is there, but it's, like, a totally open, transparent system that everyone can, like, opt into or opt out of. I think if you opt out of it at this point, you're eventually going to have to opt in, like Peter Schiff. Everybody gets fuck bit- you, Pete. Yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get Bitcoin at the price that you deserve, buddy. <laughs> and that's that's a great like Bitcoin Twitters and like everyone's gonna buy Bitcoin. You're gonna get it at the price you deserve. And to me, if you can still buy Bitcoin, if you can exchange fiat for Bitcoin, it's cheap because there will come a time I think when when you have to earn it. But to me, it comes down to like individual sovereignty freedom freedom of choice freedom of speech these are things that like i i feel are severely in jeopardy at this point in time and in the current climate that 
that we live in. And if it weren't for Bitcoin, I'd be a lot more pessimistic. But with Bitcoin there, I'm I'm actually like super optimistic about what can be built and unleashed in terms of like human production in the future. When you say like human production in the future, though, and what can be built and unleashed, you're saying that with the assumption that Bitcoin becomes like the central, not to call it centralized, but like the central system that we all rely on, right? Yeah. And decentralized, but central system. And therefore gives that power to the individual such that whether it be companies or gig economy members, people working mm-hmm. on, on their own for themselves, they have the ability to go after sources of money and sources of the ability to make money that they don't currently have under a fiat system that the government controls and tells them where they can go and where they can't. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think it's, for me, it's about like freedom and, and putting power like back to the individual. Mm. And that comes with some trade-offs, right? Like you were talking about like owning and managing a private key. Yeah. So that's personal responsibility. And and can you actually explain that for people? Because a lot of people ask me all the time, what does this mean? How does this work? Sure. I know you know about that. So. Yeah, of course. Um, got me on the interest rates, but I got you here. <laughs> um, I think like the best way to think of Bitcoin is think of like houses on a street, right? Like think of a row of houses on the street. And if you have the private key, you can enter said house, right? You know, if the pink house is yours, you have the private key to the pink house, you can enter it. If you lose that private key, you can no longer enter that house. The house Mm -hmm. still exists, but you no longer have access to it. So if you haven't backed up that private key and you lose it, that's a donation to the network. Like you're never going to get that Bitcoin back. So that's the trade-off. Like, and they say that like 5 to 10% of the supply of Bitcoin is gone forever. Right? Yeah, because there's like so many stories of early adopters losing like a hard drive with yeah. fires, even like random shit. Landfill. The one guy's trying to like dig up the entire landfill in England. I would too for $400 million. <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot I wouldn't do for $400 million. I'm sick. I shouldn't be laughing, but I'm sick for that guy. <laughs> oh, he probably feels like shit. But, you know, if he was that early, he probably has more, but. I guess, like, my point is that the trade-off for, like, self-sovereignty and, like, independence and freedom is individual responsibility. And I feel like individual responsibility is at, like, an all-time low worldwide in terms of the climate and the thinking. And I'm hoping that Bitcoin can, like, turn people's gaze inward Instead of like the distractions that are constantly peddled at us, like what if you just turned off the news and like mm. did and did something for yourself for an hour a day? Meditate, go for a walk, lift weights, put your phone down, talk to your spouse, your family, right? Like there's this whole it's all about like distraction, right? Do you see that or feel that? Like it's like hundred every, percent everyone's like the establishment. And the corporate press is uh, the Fed's enemy number one for me. <laughs> corporate press is too. Like, do you watch the news? Never. No. I used to. Like, the last time I watched the news, like legitimately, was like three years ago. You and didn't then, watch it during COVID, like when it started. At the very beginning, actually, very little. Really? Yeah. The, Smart you man. know what? You know what I would have on? Like Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. 
just see what's you know i wanted and they would be giving me the news right because they're going over the financial markets i really as far as cnn msnbc fox no none of it like that shit is toxic oh it's the worst like i turn it on sometimes or if like i happen to come across it can watch about like five minutes it's not even there is zero journalistic integrity these people are just like a state mouthpiece they fucking hate you they want you to be scared they're profiting off of you being scared Mm -hmm. so i guess that's like my point in terms of like looking inward and that like personal sovereignty and responsibility like stop listening to these people like they don't care about you they don't have your best interests at heart like Focus on and you're you're equating and and I think this is fair by the way, but you're equating the media, whether it be the right or left wing in the media, with sources in the government and what yeah. they're messaging us. Yeah, yeah, I 100%. agree with that a thousand percent. I think it's fairly obvious, but some people are still like, well, you know, there's some there's some fair journalist integrity out. No, maybe on Substack, and then they get attacked. <laughs> exactly they're not called journalists they're yeah. called they're called the canceled it's, like that it's ridiculous it is unbelievable to me it's unbelievable to me that like people are willing to trade like critical thinking for safety oh, like i'm yeah. i'm baffled but that's a great it's just like not the way it's not the way that i view the world like so I guess that's that's my point, and like that's what I think what like Bitcoin changed my frame of reference, and it's like you can be connected to a global network of like-minded individuals, and because you're like aligned in terms of your like high-level thinking, it allows you to focus more locally, like on what you can control, right? Because you know the money is in control, the bag is secured. Like, the Federal Reserve isn't going to face fuck you, and you can't do anything about it. It's like, hey, I've got my money in Bitcoin. You can't fuck with me. Yeah. Now let me turn my attention to, like, like the last quarantine, I was, like, fucking eating pizza every day and drinking beers. And yeah. I was like, all right, this like, if we're going to do it for another year, like, i got to get in shape. Yeah. But, it, like, money drives everything. So it's like, if you don't have to worry about it and you have faith in money... You can you have faith in money. That's a good line. Yeah. If you have faith in money, you can focus on your health, your family, the community around you. Like there should be like COVID if things were governed at like a more local level. Like take Haddonfield. Like what if the mayor of Haddonfield was making like the COVID decisions versus like whatever it was, Trump, knucklehead that he is, mm-hmm. Biden, Harris, like have you seen anyone handle anything correctly during this? I have two in mind, and that's it. That's that's about it. I'm yeah, sure like, there's other examples, but I, like I think Ron DeSantis has done a good, good agreed. job. Agreed, agreed. I thought he was a little shaky at the beginning, but did a good job. And then I think who you mentioned earlier, Suarez. Yeah, it, like it's just they've been more common sense about it. Yeah, like, let people make decisions. Still recognize the danger here the precautions let's get to a point where you know we have a whatever you know a vaccinated society whatever the fuck it is but until then like let's just allow people to be informed on what the issue is here and allow them to be able to still make money for themselves sure and i don't think that's a political thing it shouldn't be it 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 shouldn't and i've often i'll call out my own hypocrisy here for years 
I ha- I don't want to say I've ripped, but I've I've called out the issue in society of one issue voting, mm-hmm. right? And you know, for me, like I I'm always I always want to be upfront about what I'm doing politically. So, 2012 Obama guy, 2016 Trump guy, 2020 no guy, right? Mm-hmm. So take that as you will. But for me. I always thought of like, well, no, I want to vote on far more than one issue, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want to, I, I want to know about foreign policy. I want to know about if we're talking about presidents and, and and things like that. I want to know about what's going on with economic policy. I want to know about social policy, and I want to make an informed decision on who the best option of the two or whatever is. When it comes to elections right now, if I were to vote in them, mm-hmm. for me. It's like a guy like DeSantis, I could probably guess what his other stances are because he's a Republican, but I've never looked at him. I'd vote for him in a second because he did the one thing, the the one thing that I will vote on, which is he had the audacity to say, you know what? I will not exercise complete control over your life. Yeah. That is such a low bar. And Suarez did the same thing. Yeah. That is such a low fucking bar. Yeah. And, and... I don't mean to be a cynic, but that's where we're at. So it's cynical, but I feel like it's also fairly true. It's 100% true. Yeah. You're missing the most important third-party candidate, Bitcoin. <laughs> Every time, I like that you're bringing this up, but keep going. It's, I mean, that's honestly what I think. And like, I've only voted in one election. It was for Obama. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, this guy's going to be the change. And then kids are still getting fucking sniped in Yemeni drone strikes. I recognize that there's <laughs> like corporate lobbyists, the military industrial complex, and like Ivy, Ivory Tower intellectuals like running this country. And then it doesn't matter who the figurehead is. Can, that, we, can we take a side swipe real fast? And I, I want to ask you about that. Is that all right? Yeah. So, not to defend and referring to like, especially like the drone happiness, like in yeah. the Obama presidency. Not to defend it at all. Uh. Totally agree. Not good. And said this before, but he spoke out against it on the campaign trail. He did. At least the first time. I don't know about the second time, but the first time he did, right? And that's I, that's when you voted for him? 08? Yeah, 08. Okay. The one thing about that that I empathize with is that he was – I mean, first of all, he was coming in at a really bad time. Well, let's, let's just be honest. Like, Fair enough. The Bush presidency. Not great. Not great. Not great. So comes in at a bad time. But he was also very green foreign yeah. policy wise. He was, a, you know, he was a domestic guy. He, yeah. he was a junior senator who had been a community organizer. This was not a guy versed on Middle East policy, mm-hmm. right? So he comes in and you have all these agencies who, whatever three letters they are, you can the talk. The alphabet agencies. The alphabet agencies. And their whole thing is existence and subsistence and control of what they control. Mm-hmm. Because what they all have in common is that they were there before any president or even 40-year senator, which is a whole another fucking conversation, <laughs> got there. And they're going to be there after they leave. Yeah. And some of these people stay at these goddamn agencies for 60 years. Yeah. No lie, right? So their whole thing is let's maintain what we have. We don't want to lose any ground of what we have. So they walk in and they get a new president like Obama. Forget what political party yeah, yeah, it is. it doesn't matter. They walk in and they say, Mr. President, we have X threat, Y threat, Z threat, K threat, A threat, whatever threat. If this all happens, it's your fault and you're you're going to have 12 9-11s tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so you got this new junior senator who just walked in to the highest office in land, which he ran for. He had to know this was coming in a way. But suddenly he has all these things where it's like we're already in a bad spot and now it's like 
yo, if this shit happens, it's on you. And so what's all of politics? It's CYA, cover your ass. Yeah. And so to him, it's like, you mean I can throw a couple drones at it? Yeah. Throw the fucking drones. You know, I get it. I don't like it. Yeah. But how many, I don't care what political party you are. I don't care if you believe in the fucking lemon pickle party. <laughs> if you're in that office, like the whole point is like you have some control, right? You're carrying the weight of that groupthink system. Yeah. You don't want to fuck it up. And so I have always empathized with the fact that people are like, oh, he was so drone happy and all this shit. What the fuck was he going to do? You know? And and like I almost wish in the back end he was more aggressive with it when ISIS rose because then suddenly he got like real fucking soft about it, you know? And it's like – but it, it's stressful for me, but just tossing that out there for you. How so? Because I don't want to see – people droned where you're trying to kill two people and you bomb a neighborhood of 200 Mm -hmm. and piss off all those people righteously so for the rest of their lives and continue these systems of ideologies that create pissed off people i get it yeah right like people don't they look at an osama bin laden who's a very complicated character and was a fucking horrible guy we can all agree on that but you know he grew up rich yeah he got he got pushed there yeah. Right? And and what people don't recognize about Bin Laden is he was a brilliant motherfucker. He was sadistic, but he was brilliant. And so you add in some pretty smart people to people who get pissed off, to things that they can point to to tell other people why they, why they should be pissed off, you are creating a cycle that's never going to end. So I have a big problem with it. It's just like how do we incentivize a system where we're not just – constantly pointing fingers at somebody if they have the audacity to say hey i'd rather do less than do more here yeah well i think the strategy you've outlined is actually better for national security mitigating blowback like what are we doing in afghanistan good question and (laughs) what are we doing in syria now great question (laughs) and to me like it comes back to bitcoin believe it or not (laughs) I can relate anything and everything. I still haven't touched the main question. Keep uh, going, though. Yeah, Keep whatever. Going. We're just fucking going for it at this point. But it comes back to the money, dude. If you unfuck the money, this is not fundable. This is not feasible if you have to stand up and tell people you're still in Afghanistan if you're on a Bitcoin standard. People are going to be like, why are you spending Bitcoin on this? This is scarce. This is valuable. But when you have fucking Jerome Powell just running the printer... It doesn't matter what Raytheon gets or what Lockheed Martin gets. So you can fund endless wars because the money is worthless and it's created out of thin air. On a sound standard, it makes no sense. It makes no sense what we're doing in Afghanistan. Washington Post, scumbags that they are, actually did a great investigative article. Investigative? Investigative. You just said that in the same sentence. Well played. It's, uh, you know. It's heavy. They're... (laughs) They're the worst of the worst, but like they did that great article in Afghanistan and like poured through those congressional papers, basically said it was like a fucking, it's a fraud. There's no reason to be there. And people are just like, eh. And I just don't think that's possible on a sound money standard, be it gold, Bitcoin. Why? Because people hear you saying that right now. They're like, "What? what does that mean? What do you mean sound money standard? We're not going to be in the Middle East. Like it's when you – I get it. 
right? Sure. On the concept that like the world runs around money. Sure. If people weren't poor and pissed off, there'd be less problem. I get it. Beyond just the simplicity of that, like, is it just the simplicity of that? Or is there like another layer to it that then says like, if this, then that? I, to put it viscerally, like, let's say we're on a Bitcoin standard and it's under Bush, right? We're on Bitcoin standard <laughs> under Bush. And he's spending a bunch of Bitcoin bombing <laughs> Afghanistan and Iraq for no reason. Besides to, like, enrich defense contractors. And then, like, the hospital system in the U.S. crumbles. People are going to mm-hmm. ask questions because the money is finite, has been allocated to something else, mm-hmm. and not the public health. So, in the current system, does it matter? Less, because we live in, like, Willy Wonka's candy factory of fiat <laughs> currency. But, like, if we had a sound money standard, there's only a finite amount of currency to place towards the public good or the public need. So you would be incentivized to do the right thing by your constituents versus like pork barrel, freewheeling. You're saying that if they couldn't just print money on a whim. Yes. And it was completely controlled like the supply of Bitcoin. Yeah. They would have to, they would, they would have a boogeyman to blame in the sense that people who don't, understand money because they're busy with their lives and mm-hmm. just expect that the people who run the money to do right by them, which is a bad, <laughs> bad, bad expectation, <laughs> but it's the expectation, yeah. right? Like they look at that and they're saying, oh, well, if we don't fix it by printing money, which is cheating, but if we don't fix it, these people are going to yell at us and not vote us back in. Whereas if they could just say, hey, not us, blame the system here. The system says there's a finite amount. So we had $2, two Bitcoins to throw there, a Bitcoin to throw we there. We lost. We lost. It's what it is. Retreat. Then people would have to say, well, they couldn't control that. Yeah. Hmm. We like live in a world without consequences. How so? I mean, at the federal level, what does anybody have to account for besides getting reelected? I think one of the best arguments for that ever is that in 2008, not one person went to jail. Yeah. Yeah. For what happened. And it was a small number of people that actually really did that. Yeah. It's a very small – it wasn't like all these banks were in on it. No, no, no. There's this groupthink ideology that happens where you expect the chain of command to do a certain thing. Mm-hmm. And when certain people do it wrong, it fucks up everyone. But there was there was still a nice number of people here. The Angelo Mozillos of the world, the who was the French guy at Goldman who was like, I'm, I'm the magician. I am the magician. Oh, that fucking guy. Like <laughs> – uh, who is the senator, Carl? Uh, he was great. The the Minnesota guy, Carl Levin. That was okay. it. He was okay. like, do you mean to tell me? <laughs> like he just pointed all these people and they'd be sitting back at him like, I don't want to be here right now. But none of these people went to jail. And so you see things like that where, all right, these so-called power structures of society mm-hmm. have this double standard. Yeah. Whereas – you could argue that then when you roll in the fact that TARP happened and all this bailout happened yeah. and most of the banks, Lehman Brothers aside, Bear Stearns aside, they didn't fail. You could argue that like, oh, these people, do, they're still at the beck and call of the government. But I'm trying to phrase this correctly. They don't have anyone to actually report to because the government often has people that 
were related to the banks or in the banks in the first place. Sure. So it's it still is this round circle yeah. of life that says like, yo, we know you fucked up, but you're our boy, so we got you. Yeah. I don't know how I was trying to land that plane, but that's that was the final point I was trying to get to. I think what you're saying is that there's regulatory capture and that like the banking executives are like interchangeable yes, with yes. the people in government, right? Like fucking Yellen. What a joke. <laughs> What did she make? Like ten million dollars in sucks. speaking fees for she the banks, sucks. and then and now she's treasury secretary. She and shouldn't. Then, she shouldn't be allowed to hold paper objects. Yeah. I mean, she's just. She likes she, to print them. She sucks. So it's just like I think I see like the and I think you see it too like the nepotism like that revolving door, like. <laughs> I think I posted something the other day. It's like. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Like you're a fucking idiot. Like if you if you don't like if you think Citadel is paying Janet Yellen a million dollars for whatever she has to say for yeah. 45 minutes, like you're an idiot. I agree. <laughs> I, agree. <laughs> I, I can't imagine what she's getting. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like it's for the regulatory capture for Citadel to do whatever they want. And like I do you just, think do you think any bankers wanted to listen to Hillary Clinton? God no. I mean, she's a special candidate in the sense that she has the entire establishment behind her and, like, still manages to lose. Because she was, like, the one candidate that could lose to Trump. I think Bernie had a shot. He had a shot. They knifed him, too. And they knifed him. Think what you want about him. They knifed him. Yeah, like, I don't like him. But she was the, like, wow. She just... As far as like running in circles in the New York City area, because they fucking know everyone, I never heard a good word about her. Yeah, from from people that even fully supported her. Yeah, like at least with Trump, like I knew a lot of people, for example, that knew Trump and voted for Hillary all day. Like, yeah. no fucking yeah, way yeah. am I voting for him. But they would say like, "Yeah, he's fucking hilarious. Like, he's just an idiot, right?" I kind of no, miss the entertainment. <laughs> the entertainment was great, but it's it good. was it was too much. But like. They at least would say that about him. Like, yeah. all right, yeah. And on, on no planet am I ever voting for him. But, you know, like, he's not, like, the worst person in the world, even if he tried to be with some of the things he said. With her, it was always, like, one of the best ones I ever heard. And this was not directly from the source. This was one source removed. So I need to I need to hedge that. But I remember there was a Secret Service individual <laughs> assigned to her detail. Whose exact line was, <laughs> under no circumstances will I be taking a bullet for Secretary Clinton. <laughs> and the person who told me the story, who was a very reliable source, said, that is literally in your job description. And the individual said, yes, but I was put on this detail as punishment. Ugh, that's too funny. Yeah. So, like, she just sucked. So she was, like, the one person that could actually lose to him. But you see people like her who just suck. And these banks paying, I don't know what they paid, but they paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to her, to, to, to have her go, well, you know, when I'm president, well, you know, give her fucking robotic speech. And it's like, to your point, they don't give a shit what she says. They already don't like her because she's going to regulate, you know, every politician's going to regulate them. They don't like them. They're just trying to say like, yo, when we walk in the back door and say, you know, we need one right here. Just, you know, yeah. remember we yeah. did this. Yeah. It's like the fucking scene in Goodfellas where they walk through the restaurant. That's literally how like government functions. That's the whole 
thing. And like, that's why I want to end that, that seniorage and like that whole, like the whole Cantillon effect. The Cantillon effect? Cantillon effect. That is like, that was another eye opener. I don't know that. For me. So let's, let's look it up. Let's pull it up. But he's a French economist. And he wrote about like the ethics of money production and basically like his high level thesis. Biflation? Bi- is that what, is that what you're talking about? The Cantillon effect biflation? Let me get. Yeah. So that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. So he see, and this is just literally straight off Wikipedia. So yeah. we'll, we'll get a better source later. But Richard Cantillon was an Irish French economist and author of le nature du commerce. I'm gonna fuck that up, so we won't go there. <laughs> the cradle of the political economy. Although little information exists on his life, it is known that he became a successful banker and merchant at an early age. Yeah, at least he lived what he wrote. Yeah. Where is the whole? Go back. Yeah. Let me go to Investopedia. We'll go to the other pedia. So he came up with biflation, which is what you're trying to bring up, right? Correct. So what is biflation? It is the simultaneous occurrence of inflation and deflation in an economy, which in English means money is both increasing in supply and decreasing in supply, which appears to be a paradox. Biflation is essentially a misnomer since the concepts of inflation and deflation both refer to gen- – well, I should have just read this – general rise or decline in all prices rather than a change in relative prices between different economic goods or asset classes. Biflation is a neologism – I don't know that word for a type of Cantillon effect, which occurs when expansionary monetary policy is applied to alleviate a recession. Translate. There you go. So the way that I understand it, I, like, I think it's a little bit different than Investopedia, but the way that I understand Cantillon effect is like being closest to money production. So the federal reserve is printing money out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Who is closest to that? The big banks. The hedge funds. Yeah. So. And I would say the banks first before the hedge funds. Yeah. Personally. But yeah. Yes. You would know more than me there. But so basically the closer you are to money production, the more that you benefit. Right. Because you have a line in to control how that money is immediately allocated. And you can kind of see that in terms of what happened during COVID. Right. Like the country is locked down. And the fucking markets are soaring. After that, like, huge correction a year ago, it, it's been, like, a V-shaped recovery. Completely. In in dollar terms. Yeah. Yeah. If you're pricing things in BTC, everything's crashing. Yeah. But dollar terms for most of the, the common man out there. <laughs> it's because they're fucking closer to the money production. And that explains like how there is a huge disconnect between like what's happening in financial markets like didn't the s&p hit 4000 today yeah i think so like i look at that so much less than i used to like, but i believe i saw that have like have you been in philly or new york recently like it doesn't look like the fucking s&p hit 4000 no it looks like we're in like the dust bowl in like 1938 like i went full- have you been to new york i have when was the last time? About a month ago. You and I are similar. So I was there almost two months ago. So a little bit before you. What What did you think 
when first of all what did you think before you went like what were you prepared for and then what did you think after you left um i went in with low expectations and i i left further disturbed yeah there's like so many vacancies i think like the new york model is i think new york will bounce back i think new york has like a certain energy to it resiliency the people the structures like the history it will be back but like midtown isn't coming back like in terms of the like the commercial real estate like the office rentals like they new york is a microcosm of like the 2008 and the covid crash right like mm. If like if Francis Suarez was running New York, like I would be so fucking bullish. Yeah. Like you couldn't contain. He's not. He's not. We have De Blasio. <laughs> oh, buddy. Um. So there is an opportunity, like, to stop like kicking the can down the road. Like eventually, the music stops, and we have to like deal with reality. And, like, I think that's what we were talking about earlier. Like, there's no personal responsibility because there's no accountability at, like, higher levels. Mm. And this is something that we, like, touched on, like, a little earlier and maybe we can get deeper into. Like, I'm not really religious, but, like, the loss of, like, God in this country I think is interesting because, like, the state has now become the God. I think that's, like, super dangerous that, like, we're, like, worshiping Como, right? Like, people were like, oh, Como's amazing during fucking covid first of all he's hiding death numbers he's sexually harassing people still hasn't resigned so it's like we've we've substituted false idols for like principles and do you think he's calling the shots uh, yeah i think he's fucking mopped up dude where <laughs> he's like con- i won't touch that he's but- con- he's connected enough that he basically got accused of things that would get people kicked out of office and rightfully so and he's just like i'm not leaving but fucking leaving i'm not leaving um there's it's just we can't keep kicking the can down the road i think Mm -hmm. new york is in a really i'm sure like the pensions like everything must be stretched because it's like predicated on like that tax revenue yeah like having those commuters come in like every day right like it's it's a commuter city like I don't think the midtown commercial real estate like office market is coming back anytime soon. None of my commercial real estate guys even hint that it's coming back. So like what do they do? And if they're forward thinking and they're not corrupt and like pseudo run by like the unions and whoever is like really pulling the strings, like you take a super aggressive approach in my biased opinion you make it like the bitcoin capital of the world as it should be which suarez low-key in miami is he's doing he's doing he's gonna fucking crush it with that listen he, he listened just listen these people are so they don't fucking listen they don't listen because they stuff their own farts i was on a uh a, a zoom meeting with somebody who works right next to suarez I don't know, like a month ago, and doesn't matter how I got connected to that, but we were going like I was just asking him, like, yeah. how, how are you dealing with this? Because the influx to Miami is absurd, and I'm like, 
there's no way you're ready for this just because <laughs> it's from everywhere now because this guy's just like how can i help and oh my god a politician didn't say what can what can you do for he me just stole the most basic vc line ever how, how can i help how can i help just call me up dm me that's how bad government is <laughs> it's such a low bar so i'm just like how are you dealing with all this inbound and the guy's just like yo we're not <laughs> we're just like my position got invented three weeks ago we're just trying to keep up but you know what what the people want we're going to give them like and he said a line really simple like that and it's not i don't want to say it's that simple and the things are never that simple mm -hmm. but all they're doing down there is they're saying like okay we have an opportunity to attract talent and attract innovation and attract people who are going to be motivated to be in like build a great community yeah. of thinkers Okay. This is what I was talking about. Let's not tell them every fucking thing they have to do and let's just be like, all right, you know, it's on you. This is what I was talking about in terms of like competing, right? Like Francis Suarez is competing. He's not like knife fighting someone. Yeah. He's just using common sense. Yep. He's like, yep. you know what? There's a lot of smart people doing cool shit. They should do it in Miami. 100%. Like, why not attract smart, forward-thinking people? Like... That's the disturbing trend for me that we've become like anti-innovation mm. at like a high level. Like everything that America's achieved has been based off of like first mover advantage or like implementing systems being the front runner. Yeah. And like now things that are coming out like Bitcoin, for instance, like they're, they're not embracing change and i feel like america's always been predicated on that like that revolutionary ideas are are good and like the common good or progress or innovation is the most important thing it just doesn't doesn't feel like the climate's like that anymore it's like any like everything is a threat because i don't know i'm getting like end of the roman empire vibes I have not used those words a ton on this podcast, but that theme has come up and it's it's you have to look at trends. Why does like I really believe in patterns in history like they they work because they tell the same stories in different contexts sure. every time. And so we know that every world power air quotes that's ever existed. It ends. Sure. How does it end? There's similar patterns that happen every time people start to turn insular rather than external and and look at problems and how they can better solve them out there and they start to invent problems within that also doesn't mean that there aren't problems that exist and i think we've highlighted the biggest one in my opinion that drives everything which is the monetary system and the control the government has over it okay but when you look at all the all the problems with innovation like specifically to stay on that I had on Brady Burkett back on number 33 who you would get along with heavy. Like he thinks <laughs> he thinks very, very similarly to how you do. But he told me about a conversation I actually hadn't heard. I'm, I'm a fan of Naval Ravikant, but I had not heard him talk yeah. about this. Forget who – it was like Matt something. I'll get it afterwards. But he was talking with this other guy about the concept of safety as a inverse to innovation, which is an obvious point. But he was looking at it like – okay, we see all the technology we have now and we go, wow, we must be doing great. We've developed all these things. We've changed our world from this, you know, separated physical system to this software in the mm -hmm. ether system so quickly over the last, say, 20 years or so. Fine. 
what about the fact that we have not achieved things in the physical world or even in like to make it really simple like in some ways hardware or mm-hmm. or things that that exist that require risk meaning we went to the moon in 1968 or 1960 was it 68 or 69 did we ever go i think <laughs> fuck I, man i knew you were gonna do that i did i think we went <laughs> yeah we, we, we went i knew you were that's gonna some do bullshit that. but still but still <laughs> so we went in like 68 or 69 why weren't we on mars in 95 because at some point there's a value don't get me wrong huge value to valuing human life more over time. There's mm-hmm. a reason that, you know, the caveman walked out of the cave 2,000, 4,000 years ago, whatever, and didn't know if he was going to live today. And like, oh, well, if he didn't, and now it's like, oh, my God, someone died. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. But we've made it, and you can relate this to COVID big time. We've made it such an emphasis that we don't want to take risk to even question because one death is too many. Mm-hmm. And like with the COVID example, I've had previous podcasts where we get into the conversation of, say, the self-driving cars. I mm-hmm. use that as a parallel. And I say, okay, it's reasonable. Like, let's just assume for sake of argument right now, and I believe this is true, self-driving cars have a 10% death rate to human-driven cars. Mm-hmm. If you released 50% of all cars to be self-driving cars today onto the road and left 50% as humans, and tonight 100 people died in human car crashes, but 10 people died, or let's say 10 people died in human, and one person died in a self-driving mm-hmm. car crash, that idiot media you talked about wouldn't pay attention to 10 humans. They'd say, the self-driving car killed somebody. Sure. Right? So we have these systems incentivized to value human life so much that we fear change. And as we fear change, we fear the risk that it takes to get to change. And we fear the when we fear the risk that it takes to get to change, we don't get those innovations such as getting to a multi-planetary system, getting that sustainability that everyone talks mm-hmm. about, changing even a system like money. Because it's like, well, money drives our whole life. So isn't it dangerous if we don't have it? And so we've created a system where everyone is so worried about living to tomorrow that they don't consider how tomorrow can be better. Yeah. I mean, we can just end on that if you want. (laughs) No, we got a lot more to talk about. But (laughs) but, I mean, I I think he's – I think Naval is spot on on that. No, look, there's the the risk assessment – that I see lately is just like totally skewed. Like even in, in Silicon Valley, like it, it's all predicated on risk and like doing something innovative. And I, I feel like that's being like stifled lately. Like there's everyone's, everyone wants to like kind of like play it by the book. Like, yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't add up to me. Like I don't understand having like all the tools at your disposal and, just like not pushing for a systemic change. And again, all comes back to Bitcoin. Like I like how you, I, I do like how you relate that back to everything because it drives home the point as to what the importance is here. It's beyond just like, Oh, you know, we have an investment. It's like, no, no, no. This is a system that drives behavior. Yeah. It's the, it's the best system that's ever been unleashed in human history because it's the first one that's been able to take the inevitable parts of human nature and like some of that is greed Mm. like humans like you're talking about the caveman like walking out like that caveman is like rising from the cave every day he's like 
how much food can I get forever? And if he can get an infinite amount, he'll take an infinite amount because that's like self-preservation. So like Bitcoin is the first system that instead of like placing the emphasis in the hands of a few has like weaponized, maybe that's not the right word, incentivized human greed to protect each other. And it's like turned it inward, right? Like everyone that's participating in the Bitcoin network understands it as like a universal unit of exchange and is incentivized to make sure that nothing changes in terms of the base layer of money. Because if it changes for them, it changes for everyone. And Wait, like, you can, du- can, you, can you explain that part again? If, yeah, basically if you change the Bitcoin protocol and you're willing to- Which per- you can't. Which you can't. Okay. But if, if you wanted to, you're fucking yourself. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like, if the Fed wants to change rates, like they don't care. No. Like they're screwing you. But like, if you want to try and play with the Bitcoin protocol, go for it, but you're not helping yourself. So like, it's taken that like caveman-esque level of greed and turned it inward and like made it productive so that, that it creates a virtuous cycle instead of like a pillaging cycle. Mm. And it's a currency of enemies. Like you and I can fucking hate each other. But if we agree on Bitcoin, we'll fight to protect that because that's like the value exchange mechanism. Even if we disagree on every single other thing, it can't be manipulated. It can tie together cultures in that way. Yes. That is how it becomes like this golden age of trade. But But we have two worlds right now. How so? Well, you brought up the New York example. Yeah. And what you thought, which your takeaway was my exact takeaway too, and I'll add a, a layer of detail to it. So one of the things I never get to do these days because I'm trying to build this fucking thing and I don't have time for shit, but I, I never I never get to write anymore. And that's my love. Like I'm I'm a writer. That's that's what I do first. So the most I do is, you know, a few nice sentences on Twitter that no one reads cuz, you know, whatever. I'm there. I'm, I'm You're there. You read. But we're going to help like, each other. Like exactly. So <laughs> I when I went to New York, as I said my takeaways were the same, but adding that layer of detail, I had prepared myself mm-hmm. for what I was going to see. And I knew it wasn't going to be good, but it wasn't so much the surroundings Mm -hmm. that were horrible. There were boards in places. There was some graffiti. There were some rats, you know, that previously weren't there. Standard fare. Right. There, there was, there was, there was some woodwork and there was some dirtiness, like, but the physical makeup of a city that has like a fucking 12% occupancy rate in corporate buildings right now was not that bad mm-hmm. for me like it, when you went in the buildings like i went i went into grand central that was a religious experience <laughs> in a bad way i was like there's two people in there on yeah. a saturday like don't get me wrong not good but everything's intact yeah for the most part the thing that was way worse than even i could have imagined was the people yeah they're dead yeah so you talk about this world where everyone can you know, take their individual freedom and and go out and, and do things for themselves and whatever. And I understand, you know, I was up there when COVID hit and that's that's where I was living. And 
it was bad. It was it was a yeah. cyclone, and we saw the worst cases, and there were so many that the viral load was big, and more people were dying than in other places. So it was ground zero, and I get that. But we have created an environment where 17-year-olds are walking around with two face masks and like 12 masks and looking down and can't even look at you in the eyes when they mm -hmm. pass on a 40-degree sunny day yeah. on a street corner. And that fear and that resignation to that that has been beat into them. And mm -hmm. I'm not and I'm not sitting here like, oh, you know, COVID's not a big deal. It's not the point. The point is they have been led to believe that this is that thing that is going to kill all of us. It's going to kill fucking 15% of the population, which is systematically not true. That they have been hypnotized in a way to just carry on life that isn't life. And I, I say I was a writer because... I, for the first time since starting this podcast, sat down to write when I got home, mm. and I never released it, but because I, I had this, like, I wanted to do it right. I had a 10-section essay to write out, you know, kind of like a 10,000-word kind of thing, and, you know, I, I couldn't get to all the goddamn sections, but it was therapeutic for me to write the whole intro up, and what I did was I, I streamlined the moment I arrived in on the train, mm -hmm. and this is the end of January on a cold night, through the moment I left, as far as just things I saw, like images and whatever. And when I went and read that back to myself, and I never put it out there, but it was frightening for me because I realized, holy shit, this is not just a bell you can unring. So then I, I, I pull an image like that, like the greatest city in the world, a place I love, yeah. with all these people who have, across all cultures and across all occupations, all yeah, yeah. wealth classes, I, I pointed out an example of everyone I saw, all these people who have accepted this reality, and then I say, all right, in the cultural hub of the world, there are people who have been put in a position to accept that kind of reality, even if it was ground zero. And we're going to believe that in a place with all that information and all that brilliance, we can also then simultaneously have a world where people say, we're not going to accept shit and we're going to say, fuck the system and beat it with something as high level as money. It does make you question a few things. And I'm not saying, I'm not discounting that something like Miami hasn't happened. It has. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And what Suarez is doing is like God's work, in my opinion. Yeah. And I hope it continues. Things going to be president one day. He might be. If he wants to do it, I mean, he's on a line to do it. And and he's likable. He's like, I guess he's a Republican, but he's like very centristy, like kind of like stays above the fray. Like, I like that guy a lot. Me too. And, you know, I, I want to believe that's going to win out. But you talked earlier about the narratives of the state yeah. that hold people's attention. And they do. And they drive this propaganda out there. They drive this this messaging. I mean, I could go into examples on that all day. I worry about how much that can actually lose versus what the potential of gain for the individual is. I think if you can wake up the individual and maybe it happens person by person, mm. I don't know what that looks like. I think if you want an example of a great long running scam without getting too political, the food pyramid. Like, if you want to listen to people that told you to eat fucking pasta six times a day and get diabetes, have fun. <laughs> fucking knuckle futs. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I've never gone deep on that. Well, how's that? Because that's, I do know it's changed a lot over time. And it's like this, I, I've heard it's a just scam. Go to, just go to a grocery store 
And like yeah. if you if you didn't go through the middle aisles where everything is like prepackaged, preservatives, refined carbs, <laughs> sugar. Is that what the caveman that you referenced no. like is eating? No. It's a bunch of fucking sludge. So they'll put sludge in your body, they'll put sludge in your mind. What people need to realize, and I think we've we're at like close to a tipping point to get back to what you're saying, like how do you enact that change? The powers that be have like started to push too hard on all of this. And like people are waking up to the fact that like they don't have your best interests in mind. Mm. They're just trying to get reelected. They're trying to get money in their pocket. Like Mitch McConnell's been a senator for like what 15, 40 fucking years. 40 years. How is he worth 15 million dollars on a $200,000 a year salary? The funniest was Biden was like the 89th richest out of a hundred senators or something. And he lived, and I'm not even faulted to be, you know, he lives in like a million dollar house. People don't ask <clears throat> these questions. He's doing it wrong. Uh, clearly. He's clearly. He's not doing right. Not enough deals. Not enough deals, and man. What they're doing to him is, is sinister. The guy is clearly, yeah, I think he's, he's losing it. But back to the point that like, I think that we're at that point of like overreach. Cause I think like most people just, want to be free i think most people like are inherently good they're bad apples they're extremists but like if you think about the average person don't they want to just go about their life like don't they just want to like have their job where they find some meaning like have their family spend some time have some friends a couple hobbies like people are simple but they do want to be left alone. And we're at the point where like the average person, everything is being infringed upon. And I think people are going to start pushing back. I hope, I hope they do. What about the people? And I'm just using it as an example, as a devil's advocate. What about the people in New York? And I got a lot of, listen, I got a lot of friends there who have stayed there the entire time. I might add Yeah. who, I would I would not call because I talk to these people all the time. They're not brainwashed at all. No, no. And I wouldn't even say they're like scared. They're they're a little bit resigned. Yeah. And I almost don't blame them because that's that's the environment they wake up in every day. Like it, you know, repetition. Yeah. It, it it doesn't matter how smart you are. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna you're gonna come to accept things. So that's an extreme example. But who's to say that that can't happen in a lot of places? It has. It's happened at scale. Yeah. It's been implemented. And uh, there's that old clip of this guy from the KGB, like 1984. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. Yeah, I'll pull it up. But basically, like if you are fed misinformation for like a period of 30 to 45 days continually and like relentlessly, you'll believe it. Like it won't. Even if you're presented like all evidence to the contrary, that is like the period that it takes to like totally change your opinion or like wash your mind of like any rationality. So I don't know. I guess that's a long winded answer to your question of like, how does it change? Like Yuri Beznamov? I think so. Yeah. All right. I want to pull this up because I, I have heard of what you're talking about before, but I've never watched it. 
All right, so we'll pull it up right now. Mr. Cool. Besmianov was born in 1939 in a suburb of Moscow. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He was educated in the elite schools inside the Soviet Union and became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. He had an outstanding career with Novosti. I miss the the newsman voices like this. I miss having a real newsman. Arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological No, we're 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 just watching, and then uh, I'm afraid some people hear this right now. Understand. When uh, the Soviets use Everything's the phrase real. ideological yeah, subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is ideological. a slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, activne meropriyatia in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is basically. to change the perception of reality of every American mm. to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. Yeah. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students. Fourth turning shit. Of, of mm-hmm. your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last <laughs> this is 1984. Years, yeah. What a year! Actually, it's overfulfilled because uh, <laughs> demoralization now everyone. reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would would even. So dream he said 15 to 20 years, right? Success. Yeah. That would put it Most in 1964. What happened in the late Americans, 60s, early 70s? Thanks to lack of moral standards, you know. as I mentioned. What before, happened on campuses? Uh, exposure to mm. true information does not matter anymore. He said it A was person done. who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it hmm. until yeah. he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. Yep. When a military boot crashes his balls, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. All right, let's cut it there. So I, I, I get the concept, and I had Nick Roll in here, I guess like a month ago, who was we, – we talked about a whole bunch of shit. We started talking about Top Shot because he was like in that like yeah, day yeah, one. Yeah. But he got to – he's like a brilliant psychological mind, and he got to this thing. I, I can't remember the name of it. I should look it up though. But I remember the concept, and, and what he was talking about was with like the flat earth theorists. <laughs> 
So <laughs> he had he had 15 minutes of fame because he went to war. Oh, I think I saw that. Yeah. yeah, he went to war with Kyrie Irving in the national media because he was in he was getting his masters at the time. So he was teaching like a middle school class. Gotcha. And all the kids were fans of Kyrie in like 2017 and they were all coming in saying the earth was flat and he was like oh my god like no it's not <laughs> so all these kids were so bought into Kyrie that they would not listen to evidence gotcha so the way he beat them psychologically and made them face their their lack of understanding was he created an incentivized project that allowed them to get like a, a prize meaning they didn't have a test or something like that gotcha that had them review sources like like primary sources, quote unquote, yeah, yeah. and determine what was good and what wasn't. And there was a correct answer. So like if you reviewed a – like high level speaking, if you re reviewed a source that was like an encyclopedia for like words, yeah, good source. Yeah. He then put on there flatearth.org. <laughs> so they had to come to grips with the fact that they either were going to be so dug into their belief system that they were going to purposely lose this project because right. they knew that inherently it wasn't a good source, or they were going to admit it wasn't a good source and therefore admit Kyrie Irving was full of dog shit. Because genius. These guys understood that. Yeah. And they understood no one's going to do that. It's crazy. It's just, there's been no pushback to it like there's just full buy-in and like it's this last year has just blown my mind like in terms of like what were you doing a year ago more than a year ago now ish i was i went and got like a like a full cardiology stress test on okay. friday march 13th and it was all clean, by the way. I was good. Good. Heart was good. But I was going through this whole thing. And good I was, thing going into this year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was talking to the doctor and saying, you know, what do you think of this COVID shit? <laughs> and he was like, well, I'm changing my opinion on it. And I was like, turned to him like, well, what do you mean? Because I'm thinking about going to the office right after yeah, this. Yeah. And he's like, you know. It's not great. And he starts going through some data and he did explain. He's like, look, it's, this is not killing. His exact words were like, this is not going to kill 10% of the population. Yeah. But he's like, you know, this, this is worse. And, yeah. and here's why it is. And here's why I didn't believe it at first. And now I'm starting to think otherwise. And so then I remember I, I went home and I quarantined after that. And the reason I bring it up is because when you ask that question, whether there's an intonation on it or not. I think all of us, regardless of what we thought about the world at the time, we saw something that was so new and we were like, okay, like, yeah. you know, let's just chill. The question that you've brought up that I think is such the central question in the whole thing is at what point did we start to accept and not consider? Yeah. I think. Can you pull that mic in a little bit? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's like quash critical thinking. In a way. And I find that to be dangerous. I find like some of the censorship. I think I'm willing to go out on a limb here on Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a hill that I'm I'm willing to discuss. I'll die on that hill with you. Publicly, um, as fucking Cardi B performs WAP <laughs> um with Megan the Stallion and 
does some exceptionally interesting things. The world is just like upside down in in certain ways. And I feel like it's like a litmus test. And we've continually failed as a society to just like call bullshit. Like, like if you said something dumb or like one of my friends said something dumb, I'd be like, you're fucking full of shit. Like, why can't we, why can't we do that on a macro level? Like there's no intellectual honesty. And for me, the tipping point, we weren't going to get through this podcast without discussing this was fucking Epstein, dude. (laughs) We got to go there. It's like, I was kind of getting into Bitcoin then. So it's like starting to get like a little orange pilled, gets arrested, sitting there with my dad. I was actually visiting from California and I was like, they're going to fucking kill this guy. Yeah. I was like, I give it two weeks. on the button and it's like i told you i can tie everything back to bitcoin epstein is in that circle close to the money printer close to all of these people there's flight logs of people like on that plane and the most telling thing to me is all right you're on the plane not one person was like not one celebrity bill gates whoever has been on that plane not one person was like came out and was like oh hey i had no idea what was going on like that's abhorrent i'm so sorry to ever be associated with the fucking silence is deafening the silence is deafening that is the thing that has bothered me the entire time about this because you have all these very public high profile powerful figures across culture i mean it's 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 every type of person and like I understand that there are some people he just got photographed with because yeah. he was a nut job. I know Eric Weinstein's talked about that a bunch. Like yeah. he talked with him once, tells you everything about the conversation, what a nut job he thought he was. But th- there are a lot of people who flew on those planes with him. Multiple times. Multiple times. Whether, you know, Bill Clinton's the famous one 27 fucking times. You know, yeah, Jeffrey, Jeffrey takes us down to an island. I, I don't know what goes on down there. I just know Jeff's a good time. I, I didn't know he was into touching little girls. Like, he doesn't even come out and say that. That should be a very simple, even though we would, none of us would believe him. Like, it, it should be a very simple thing to come out and say, like, this guy's a child pedophile rapist psycho. But they don't do that. Kevin Spacey, not that we should expect anything from him, says nothing. Chris Tucker says nothing. You brought up with me earlier, like Larry Summers, who I think was a guy who was just photographed with him still. No. They s- connections. They, so he might have gone down there. I don't know. You but he made the me. guy from, who's the guy that just stepped down running the investment firm? The Victoria's Secret guy. It was basically oh, like Le- oh, my God. Lex. Uh... Lex, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about Lex Friedman because all the Bitcoiners are yeah. shitting on him, but it's the other Lex. They shouldn't be shitting on Lex. Lex is just Lex is just curious. Welcome to the Terror Dome, dude. He's just curious, man. He's curious. Don't yeah. hate on him. He had on pop on his podcast. Don't hate on him. I get it. I, I get love it. Lex. Um, but no, the silence the silence really is deafening. And this this leads me again to believe that the corporate media are a bunch of fucking scumbag status pieces of shit. Who was the ABC chick? I uh, don't recall. 
the one who was like on she got caught on the hot mic. I mean, she got caught by Project oh, Veritas, yeah. but it's, it was real. It was real video. Oh, but Project Veritas is their right wing. Yeah, so you can't listen to anything they say. They had real video of that. Like they, she had them nail, and like you know, it's something that that matters to me. Like people's rights, like that, like that fucking matters to me. And the fact that there is like zero journalistic integrity around it. That just like that stuff really fucking pisses me off. That's when I rage buy a lot of Bitcoin. <laughs> because again, Epstein was a Bitcoin buy signal. It, he is absolutely. He's anyone. If I see somebody related to fucking Jeffrey Epstein, I buy Bitcoin <laughs> because Jeffrey Epstein is the ultimate fiat leech. He f- functioned as a blackmail agent in the fiat system, as a go-between between between like powerful agencies and powerful people, and was able to pin them in corners doing disgusting things. And that's what fiat does at like a, at a high level. What if he would have used Bitcoin to do it? He could, he could, he could, he could. So what makes fiat? And, And I'm, and I'm, I'm on your side. I'm not a fan of that system at all. But in that context, what makes Fiat the boogeyman there? Uh, I feel like I'm thinking about like Larry Summers and like mm. the political connections, and again, mm. like the closeness to yep. the money spigot that we're talking about, like that that insiders club. There's I'll nothing. That. Yeah. There, there's nothing from preventing him to use Bitcoin to do it. Mm-hmm. What I think prevents him, and what's still not priced in in Bitcoin. Or Bitcoiners themselves. Like, they're the white blood cells. Like, I don't see Bitcoiners. Maybe they are. But, like, from what I can grasp, I don't see people that believe in Bitcoin engaging in that type of disgraceful behavior. Whereas I see... what? Okay, hold on. Because before you go on, I want to I push on that. And let's attack these things. Because we're, I, I want to get to the libertarianism aspect of Bitcoin, yeah. and and I have not tried to drive the conversation there because there's been so much other good shit going <laughs> on. I've just ignored it. But when you start to make generalizations of because someone thinks this, then they would never do this. I get worried about that because all it takes is one. Sure, you know Epstein and Ghislaine were two people. Yeah. Now, were they supported by a fuck ton of people? Yes. 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 So. Yes. Were they even the the only masterminds behind it? I don't even think so. Probably not. I think they're the front people. They're probably, right? So we can agree there are multiple people or organizations or more. Maybe if you want to put on, put on the full tinfoil hat, maybe there's a lot of global organizations. Either way, there's still good and bad actors in this world. Mm-hmm. So I do worry about – and I and – Again, I'm coming from your side in the sense that I'm a huge believer in Bitcoin. And I've learned a lot about Bitcoin through you as well and, and some of the guys you connected me to. But I think it gets a little dangerous when we start to say it is this complete like, oh, no, no, no. It's only a holy grail. There is not any bad to come into it. Do I think that someone who buys into Bitcoin for all the personal freedom and and responsibility reasons that it's supposed to represent, do I think that they're more likely to be a pure individual in that way and not somebody who's a fucking, whatever the hell you call Epstein, like a lunatic? Sure. Sure. Agree with that. Do I think that that means that it is going to be the complete rule and there will be no exceptions? No, because I believe in the fallacy of human nature. Yeah. I think that's fair. 
I'm probably overzealous on that front. That's okay. Um, but I would like to think my only, and I think that pushback is totally fair. My pushback would be that over time, Bitcoin is incentivized to eradicate and snuff out bad actors, whereas fiat is incentivized to insulate and promote and perpetuate. Bad can act. you explain how I think I know exactly what you mean, but can you explain how just for context? Yeah, because I think corrupt systems are corrupt. So if you get it's like a tick. You get underneath the skin, right? Like the skin is like the the barrier. Mm-hmm. And like once you get into like the more central nervous system, the blood system, your bones, like everything that's like kind of underneath the skin, like once you're in you're in, right? And you can wreak havoc. And that's mm. like what fiat looks like. Like once you get closer, like a tick getting under your skin isn't important until you get like Lyme's disease, right? Like you can, mm-hmm. once you get underneath there, like you can unleash these things that are destructive. You can start like manipulating power structures through the central nervous system, through the circulatory system, through the muscular system. And once you're in, you're incentivized to like push people in the wrong direction. With Bitcoin, once you onboard something, it comes back to that human greed. Like you're incentivized to do the right thing because it helps you. You're only helping yourself in a Bitcoin system because you're basically pumping your own bags. Like, hey, join Bitcoin because it's great. I already have more Bitcoin than you. <laughs> like it keeps going up. And like that's just the difference. Like some people make money. There's still a finite amount, though. Right. That's like the fiat system, where like you're closer to the money production. Money production. Whereas Bitcoin, it's like, hey, we're all in this together. I got in a little bit earlier than you, but we can still all help each other. You're incentivized for me to do well, even if I'm getting in after you did. So therefore, frankly, not as well, in all likelihood, with buying power being equal. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, it can't can't be more fair than like the way that bitcoin was distributed like there was a time where there were bitcoin faucets on the internet like what do you mean faucets there's there were literally websites like a bitcoin faucet what does that mean i have no idea what that is <laughs> so like after bitcoin was launched to like distribute the coins there were like devs set up like a faucet website like if you fucking went to the website and clicked on it you could get like 10 bitcoins just for clicking on the website. So who made money on the back end of that? Nobody. How does that exist then? That's the great, like the early days of it, or the Wild West is crazy to me. Because it's like the bootstrapping of the network. Like that's why Laszlo always comes up mm. with like the pizzas. Yeah. People are like, oh, this fucking guy. <laughs> he spent like 500 million on pizza. Because <laughs> like, it wasn't worth anything then, supposedly. It wasn't. Yeah. Like, he created the first real-world value exchange. Like, And with, for context, that was what? How many... What was the number? How many Bitcoins for two pizzas he traded 10, in 2010? 10,000. 10,000. 10, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Those are some expensive Papa John's. Papa John. I hope he got, like, extra <laughs> toppings with that. Three For context, three years later, Crete was buying Bitcoin in... in droves but what people don't understand about that story is that number one 
Laszlo is like an OG miner. He probably has a fuck ton of Bitcoin. Number two, he monetized it. Like that is a huge event in its inception. Like set the precedent that like it was actually exchangeable for something as trivial as a pizza. Number three, he did it because Satoshi scolded him because at that point the network didn't require the requisite computing power that we currently think about, which is like having specialized miners tapped into like Chinese hydroelectricity. Like you could you could mine Bitcoin from that laptop. And so Laszlo was the first person to be like, oh, like I can custom build a computer for this and like fuck this network up. Like I'm going to win every uh, computation, which we didn't tap into earlier, but that's all mining is, right? It's like... Network effects of it too. It got talent attracted yeah. to trying to find those solutions. So like... All he was doing was like, all solving for Bitcoin mining is, it's like you're solving a math problem. And mm. like the more computer power that you have, the quicker you yep. can process that. So like people were like mining on laptops, like people had laptops like that, making Dude. like 50 Bitcoin Dude. per block. And he was the first one to like point like specialized equipment at it. And Satoshi was like, hey, no, like it's too fucking early. You're going to monopolize supply because you're like taking too much because of the computing power. Like, so that's why, like, that's like his sacrifice. Like, oh, like I did something wrong. Let me like monetize Bitcoin, kind of make up for like kind of jumping the gun. Like, Laszlo still paid in Bitcoin. Like, nobody should worry about Laszlo. What's the line? He had to die for all of us to live. He's kind of like, yeah. 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 He's kind of. It's kind of like the Bitcoin Jesus. I agree with you. And I think that, I mean, like how many, because you and I, I definitely know a lot less than you do, but we, we're not experts on, on the mining aspect of it, as we said earlier. But do you know some guys who have who've been involved with that? Uh, Not like personally. Okay. No. I'll never forget, because, you know, I'm a experiential guy with mm-hmm. shit like that. I, I know what I know. I don't know what I don't know. I'm not a fucking engineer. I don't understand computer engineering. I know how to produce a podcast, right? Like that's, that's, that's where this my, is the extent. this is the extent. It's right? great. You're doing great. But <laughs> Hey, Hey, we're working baby. Um, but I will never forget walking into my buddy Mitch and Mike's townhouse in Jersey city back in beginning of January, 2018. Interesting time to be doing that. But yeah, I, you know, they're both, brilliant engineers like fucking building hydroponic gardens down the stairs you know next to like 12 computers and all this shit and when i walked in there the first time there was this this computer chip on a motherboard mm-hmm. sitting down there and and you know it's a dark darker basement but you could almost see like heat coming off of it yeah and it wasn't big you know it was Almost the size of those two remotes together. Maybe another remote right there. Yeah. And I remember seeing that. And, and I walked down there. I'm like, Mike, what what the fuck is going on here? And he's like, oh, we're, we're mining Bitcoin. It wasn't even Bitcoin. It was Bitcoin. I'm like, what the fuck is that? And he goes, oh, it's fairy dust, dude. It's it's not worth anything. Yeah. 
I'm like, well, why are you doing it? He's like, well, technically right now it's worth like a few cents. So we just leave this computer running and it costs, he like goes through it, like it costs X amount per hour to run yeah. this. And that's why it's heating like that. And we get Y amount based on the fact that it's still worth like a few pennies. So, you know, we, we just do it. And so then I started asking him about like the Bitcoin mining side. And that's when I learned about the power of, and this is what I want to pivot to a little bit, the incentivization the incentivization structure of adoption yeah because and we touched on this earlier but you need that network of people coders mm -hmm. quote unquote around the world who are going to make money i.e make bitcoin in sure. this way beyond what their expenses are to be able to confirm the transactions sure and so when satoshi invented this technically there were zero nothing there was nothing yeah and what I think gets lost in the process here is that we're only, you know, Bitcoin started trading January 3rd, 2019, or, or 2009, sure. excuse me. And it was invented on October 31st, 2008. So we are 12 years into this process and we went from zero to millions of people mining this. Trillions of dollars in value. Trillions of dollars in value. No founder that you can point to. No unless, team. Unless you're talking to Dan Pena. No, no marketing team. It's the most no. valuable startup um, of all time. It's a. It's not a startup. It's a. It's a. It's. It's fucking fire. The wheel, the printing press, the internet, and Bitcoin. That's the five fundamental like evolution, next level like exponential increase in human productivity those are the five things um but in terms of like energy consumption and mining i think you bring up a really great point and it's like what all the fucking blue check marks are screeching about on twitter and i just want to let them know that the screeching will continue <laughs> until morale and adoption approves like bitcoin should have better critics at this point like the fud this cycle is the same as 2017 it just proves that the establishment are a bunch of like weak-minded, narrow-minded. They're not thinking deeply about this topic because like what Bitcoin mining, which is energy intensive. Like I want to go on record. Like it, yeah, yeah, it yeah. takes energy. But, it's still not efficient, but it's it's better than it was five years ago. Well, when you say it's not efficient, like you have to think of it versus like the U.S. military. Yeah, pretty energy intensive because yeah. that's what the dollar is backed by violence <laughs> a bunch of violence um vampire energy right like everything that's plugged in all the time so like until we start there and if you're like a green energy person and you don't include nuclear your opinions are relevant mm. but as i've digressed um <laughs> like bitcoin is really pushing forward I think like some of the greenest developments in energy, like in terms of like capturing methane gas that's flared, natural gas that's flared, like these are emissions that are going to go into the environment and Bitcoiners have figured out a way to like attach a generator to it and attach Bitcoin mining units to it. And instead of it getting flared into the atmosphere, it's like functioning as an economic battery to capture that energy that has no buyer of last resort. And then convert it to something else. Like, they're doing such cool shit on that front. 
And because the incentives are aligned, because if you're mining, Wait, okay, okay, because I'm not gonna lie, you you lost me on that part because I'm, <laughs> I'm not a fucking miner, but you know more than you think. Incentives are aligned, part though. We can all get behind that if I have some context. Okay, explain. All right, I'll try and keep it tight. Okay, <laughs> we got all night, dude. Yeah, we uh, still got we still got a whole thing of fucking doers right here. Might God a, forbid we get to that. Might be a dory sleepover. Yeah. Um, there's a bedroom back there. Don't worry. So in terms of miners being aligned, I think it's like a less talked about and like super interesting portion of Bitcoin because supply, as we've talked about throughout this conversation, is crunched, right? There's mm. 21 million. It's probably really 17 million. Yeah, what 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 is the accepted number? Like eight percent is gone. I think it's like four million bitcoins gone. So let's play. That's a lot. Let's peg it. At, let's, let's call it. There's actually eighteen million bitcoin in existence. So you can either minus like, four. Well, there's twenty one million. Because yes, there's be twenty one total. There's eighteen. There's a little more than eighteen and a half right now. So minus roughly four. Yeah. So there's 14 and a half, 15, call it, round number in good, existence. Good double check on the map. Okay, there. yeah. Because most of the Bitcoin do exist. Like, the issuance schedule is such sure. that... So, you can buy over the counter. Or, I think the people that are really smart and savvy are, like, figuring out how to mine it, right? Because that's that's simply purchasing through other means. You can either buy it over the counter with cash, or you can, like, buy miners... And find an energy source to make acquiring Bitcoin via mining more economically feasible than just paying cash up front for mm. it. So what that does and what people miss in like the whole Bitcoin boiling the oceans nonsense narrative is that the margin there is on energy. So like <laughs> the cheaper energy you can find, the more stranded sources, the more outliers that you can find and somehow monetize into the Bitcoin network, that increases your margin, and you get more Bitcoin. And that is everyone's goal. Wait, 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 hold on. Explain that one more time. I want to make sure I got that. You can either buy Bitcoin for cash, mm -hmm. or you can mine Bitcoin. Which means you, you are using your computational power that you pay for to be able to, as a coder, to mine for it. Not as a coder. It's, yes, just, yeah, let's keep it high level and assume you have to be. I know you technically don't have to be, but let's just say you are. You right? have to, yeah. So you mine for it. You are paying up front to be able to try to incentivize winning more than you give up, like profit margin. Correct. Okay. And so you can either, let's put it into two camps. You have cash. You pay for Bitcoin. You just, you just buy it. You exchange it. If you think you're smart, you have an angle. You pay for mining equipment, and you find a source to mine Bitcoin. Mm. So I guess like the capital calculation there is, does it cost less for me to buy it up front versus buying Bitcoin mining equipment and finding stranded energy to then convert to Bitcoin? My point being that Bitcoin drives green innovation because it is a search for stranded resources that would otherwise be unutilized and pointed at the Bitcoin network to transfer stranded energy into a battery that is globally transferable. Does that make sense? 
<laughs> it makes sense to me. I hope everyone got that. I just had a mind fuck moment while you were explaining because the second, the first time I was like, is that what he's saying? And then the second time I'm like, oh shit, that's what he's saying. It is an economic battery. It's, this is not a great parallel, but it's a borderline parallel. When we moved from a world where you had to take all these activities and do them in all different places mm -hmm. and then went to this world where it was all on your iPhone. Yeah. We created a, again, I'm using, I, I hate to use this word because it's counterintuitive, but we created this centralized space where sure. we did it, right? To take a stretch there, what you're saying with Bitcoin is that we have all these other systems that quote unquote waste a lot of things yes. or cause a lot of problems and cause a lot of energy problems, cause quote unquote climate problems, cause us issues such that we worry about are we going to have to go multi-planetary, which science appears to say we're going to have to here. Elon's working on that to <laughs> be able to sustain humanity over <laughs> the next thousands of years. With a system like this, when you incentivize putting everyone – I'm trying to restate what you're saying. When you incentivize trying to put everyone into one space where they all agree like, okay, this is the money that we use and here's, here's the system through which we have to create it or mine for it or get it, which requires energy. We are then going to use building on the innovation there to drag on to everything else such that everything else becomes more streamlined and we can we, – because of the system we're adopting – I'm really getting wild here. But because of the system we're adopting in Bitcoin, this new monetary system, there is going to be less need to use energy here, here, and here, and here such that it will all be centralized and then over time innovated in a way that less and less energy is used. Yes, I think so. Yeah, it got complicated, but I, it got complicated. I think I know what you're saying. I think what I'm saying is that there is under or unutilized energy. Like flared gas is like the most. What's flared gas? So it's like oil fields that are like, you know, you have like an oil rig and then there's like mm. methane spewing into the atmosphere. Isn't right? That, isn't that like all of them? Yeah, that's like every oil rig yeah so what the bitcoiners have figured out is instead of like spewing that into the atmosphere which does not help climate change let's build a funnel right we'll capture that flared methane put it through a pipe put it through like a conduction engine and then we'll attach bitcoin miners <laughs> to it and fucking make bitcoin out of it so it's something that was going to be wasteful harmful becomes power becomes powerful becomes like an a battery transfer mechanism like for elon's big picture like his last frontier is like battery transfer power and like bitcoin is own it's like close to being that like it's what it's, about dogecoin <laughs> i just love that he's a fucking troll i love the richest guy in the world he doesn't take himself too seriously. He doesn't give a fuck, dude. It's great. It's, it's great. It's fantastic. But shout out uh, to Chaz on jo on Dogecoin. I hope it goes to zero for you. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. You deserve it. You deserve um, it. No, like there's there's innovation at every turn, and like again, it comes back to incentives, right? Like when we are all aligned, when we all start with an equal playing field, and like equal is. You could have been in Bitcoin in 20, 2011. Like, 
You could have. Yeah. It was Shout on the internet. Like, it Shout out Sloan Breakville. It wasn't a fucking secret. You could have, right? Like, that's as fair as it's going to get. Like, Satoshi creating the network, mining it, walking away. There's a million coins that'll never move. Like, mm-hmm. that, like, immaculate conception is as, as fair as it's ever going to get. Quick question. This is some semantics. Yeah. I, I don't know the answer to this. I might not either. All right. Well, <laughs> if you don't, no problem. The white paper was released on October 31st, 2008. Yes. Bitcoin started trading on January 3rd, 2009. Second mm-hmm. or third, one of them. Either way. Did he own it ahead of the trading or was it officially consummated? This might be just a bullshit, stupid semantics question. But no, I think was it's it officially actually, consummated on the third? It's officially consummated on the third. And I think it's absolutely not a bullshit question. It's 100% important. So he didn't have any worth. No, he he pre on the thirty first. He pre signaled it mm. versus like you and I have talked about like all coins and different things. Like mm. I disagree with like the pre mine. These people are trying to like pre mine and dump into U.S. dollars. In in my yeah. opinion, on a broad scale, I think there's some innovation to be had. But like, I'm here to fucking end the Federal Reserve. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, to do that, you have to have, it's got to be, like, the cleanest bank job in the world. And, like, Satoshi did that. Like, he created, like, I think he's going to win a Nobel Peace Prize. Like, if we come back to a rational world. I don't disagree with that. In due time, I think he's, like, I don't know, we talked about religion. I guess He's like, say it, say it. <laughs> no, like, say it. It's he's okay. like a modern day, like Jesus Christ, dude. He's like, it, like he Bitcoin to me. I think about it all the time, like aside from work and the wife, and like, <laughs> well, thank God she's in there. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> um. Like it's it's to me like the way that I think about it now. It's like it's like a modern abolitionist like movement because if you think Mm. of the way if we go back to like that top-down structure like we're a bunch of tax cattle like people don't fuck like the (laughs) like they don't fucking care about like anything about beyond their revenue no self-interested and it's like they just they just don't care like it just doesn't it doesn't add up and like i want people like you follow me on instagram like i fucking shit post like or just mess- low, low key i'm i'm going to do a shameless plug right now <laughs> i fucking hate instagram stories let, let me put that out there i do them because i have to i don't even watch my own instagram stories i th- i miss snap stories cuz no one tried too fucking hard yeah so, nobody cared oh my god Snap stories are still great now. No one posts them, so I miss those things. Shout out to the the OG stories. Instagram stories are generally annoying. I generally click through them. Your stories are fucking hilarious. <laughs> Even like if it's something like I don't totally agree with, you just spit flames of meme culture that is unparalleled. Unparalleled. Thank you. So as far as if you want a great Instagram follow for the stories, I don't even know if you fucking post for the stories. Super Chasky? Is that yeah. It? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put the link in the description, but continue. Go ahead. No, it's just like meant to like, 
make you like don't you feel like there's like a lack of thinking that's like what <laughs> i feel. that's like what i feel lately like yeah i look around and i feel like i'm an idiocracy it's just like what is everyone thinking they're not yeah that's a problem they're not thinking for themselves they're not people don't question anything and like don't get me wrong i think people that over question fucking everything are annoying don't get me wrong I do. Could be but I, I would rather <laughs> yeah. have that than people who are just trained to the cattle. I think you used that term earlier. But there was – I know you follow Russell Okung on Twitter. He's he's the goat, man. What a guy. Oh, my God. Can you, you get him on here? That would be like your magnum Dude, opus. I would I, – I would never pay to have someone on here, but if uh, hypothetically I were going to pay to have <laughs> someone on here, I'd throw that guy a fucking <laughs> Satoshi or stack some sats for him to sit across from me. Russell Okung, who is like legit all pro lineman, won a Super Bowl in the NFL, still in the NFL, still a very good player. Richest player in the NFL. Richest player in the NFL because he's half paid in Bitcoin. Russell Okung never tweets about football. It's great. Nah. He tweets all about, like, he tweets a lot about Bitcoin because he's been into it for, he's like an OG, been into it for a long time. He tweets all about critical thinking. And he posted a video that was lifted from TikTok, I'm pretty sure. Maybe this is like a month ago, something yeah. like that. I don't know if you saw this. But it was hilarious, but also scary because some dude just lined up outside some store in some city, like a Wawa or something, yeah. and <laughs> took out a lint roller. He took out he took out a fucking lint roller and I'm gonna put the video in the corner right now so people can if they're watching right now they can see this while I'm talking yeah. through it. Takes out a lint roller and stops people at the door and starts telling them to put their arms out and wand them with a lint roller. And all these people who are from every generation and walk of life, without asking a question, stop, hold out their arms, allow the lint roller to go around them, and then proceed to go in the store as he waves them in. And you're watching this right now, mind blown. And what Russell Okung said is we have created a society where no one even stops to fucking ask a question of like is this even halfway legitimate and like again and and no disrespect to russell on this the questions he's asking on something some of them are brilliant some questions he asks should be like a bare minimum but he yeah. is special in modern day society because people aren't asking them which should tell you everything you need to know about where we stand it's some days I look up and I'm just like, what's the best way to put this? Some people that I think are incredibly intelligent that don't question the narrative. And it just, yep. it's, maybe goes back to like that indoctrination video that we watch, but I find that scary. I find that to be troubling on like a, a deep level in the sense that you know the people that have like censored or burned the books over the course of history the people that have like grouped people over history they're never the good guys there's not one instance of them being the good guys. And I feel like that's kind of where we're at. And 
it's like it it troubles me deeply and glad that there's like bitcoin and other like open source software as an outlet but you know i I feel like we're at like a real inflection point like there's it's a fucking wild time i want to take this to finally actually go into that libertarianism point sure because i agree with you no matter what i don't care what you think i don't care where you are on the political spectrum i don't care whether you believe or disbelieve in, in bitcoin we are at a critical inflection point and if we wanted to do a 30 minute back and forth right now explaining the concept of the fourth turning we could <laughs> i'm not going to do that but go read that book great book great book history repeats in these cycles to really mm-hmm. dumb it down and I look, the reason I'm bringing up the libertarianism right now is because I look at Bitcoin and that religious concept we talk about emanates from to overgeneralize a type of individual who buys into Bitcoin. It's not everyone like this, but yeah. someone who would match your standard a little bit is someone who believes in personal freedoms, which, sure. you know, I think everyone should believe in that in a way, right? And someone who believes in personal responsibility, mm-hmm. which starts to get into some arguments, but, you know, in, in fairness, it's like, well, it's up to you, right? And then it all comes back to this wide-ranging concept of libertarianism. Now, Libertarianism has been, you know, the Gary Johnson, the what the hell mm-hmm. was her name? Who was just on the? Oh my god, I, I already forgot, which is bad. Andrea. I don't no, even think that was it. Wasn't, it. it wasn't even Andrea. She Doesn't wasn't very matter. good. She wasn't great. But anyway, it's been this wide ranging thing to where you can have like some person who's like, not that she was in it, but almost like a Jill Stein type. Mm-hmm to like a Rand Paul who's literally like a Republican in, in Senate, right? Like yeah. more of an establishment type. So it's, it's like, well, how, to say nothing of his dad, like how do you – like how do you have that? How do you define it? Bitcoin to me has been the first community to put a little bit more of a centralized belief system on it mm-hmm. because the Bitcoin community – and you've hit on this theme and I think you realize you have throughout everything you've said – the Bitcoin community wants to take the the thing at the top of the pyramid, money, and translate it to the individual mm-hmm. and detract from institutions running life, be it government, yeah. be it big banks, be it big corporations, lobbyists, whatever. All these – All the same. Yes, all the same. Exactly. All these groupthink systems mm-hmm. and take it down to the individual takes power that they've created that religion out of it and they've also created a political movement. Mm-hmm. Because we have seen, and I'm absolutely included in this, and there's a lot of people who have different political beliefs than me included in this. We've seen a lot of people in society become completely disinterested mm-hmm. in the political options we have. And it doesn't mean that they're a libertarian. No. It doesn't mean that they're a liberal, a conservative. It just means they're like, fuck these people, right? And so Bitcoin has taken up the mantle in the rhetoric of it online, which Twitter is the best spot for it. It is. Of fuck you, we're taking back the system. Mm-hmm. Now, you're a guy who I think has been an incredible spokesman for that mindset. And it doesn't mean I agree with every single thing you say, but in concept, I agree with most of the things you say. My question is, do you think we can live in a world 
we're fairly, and Bitcoin's just the best example of this, we're fairly, the individual is responsible for absolutely everything with no backstop. And the reason I ask that is not because it's not possible mm -hmm. for every person that exists. I wonder whether it's possible for every person at the same time that exists because there are different environments that cause different people that cause different problems that cause different potential fucking you know to overgeneralize sob story scenarios sure so my question back to you would be like do you want that as fucking biden's health care plan or do you want like a sound money standard where everyone's trading on Bitcoin and we're hyper localized and people can. Can you define that? Can you like paint how that looks? Yeah. So like it currently looks like whatever fucking dipshit press conference we're currently doing for like a three trillion dollar stimulus bill, yeah. which you'll never see any of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you'll uh, you'll get. Maybe fifteen hundred dollars, while the house that you've been eyeing up goes up fifty thousand. Um, Inflation, yeah, yeah. doesn't exist. Um, no, I think there should be a backstop. I guess I'm just of the mindset that like the free market can always do it. So like, let's say where are we at, Mulca Hill? Mm -hmm. There's a Mulca Hill Association, and we're all making X amount of Bitcoin. We put 10% into like a a fund. And if there's, you know, problems or, you know, somebody needs medical care, like let the free market decide what insurance premium should be or like what the treasury should look like versus having like state mandated taxes based off of income brackets, which is like, I guess what I'm saying, let me rephrase that. There is a one-size-fits-all mentality from the federal government. Mm. Like, how can they know what 500 million people want across the country? And that's – and what I like about that point is that's not a part – that is one thing that's not a party problem. That that's, has nothing that, to do with anything. Yeah, that's, that's, that is a government ideology problem. Like, how can – how can half – how can everyone – how can everyone – in a 500 million person country fall into two categories. Everyone's that simplistic. Everyone's that like programmed or trained. Like we should be focusing on like a local level. So do I think there should be a backstop? Absolutely. Like I'm not like a, <laughs> not like a wilderness. I don't feel like I'm like Will Smith and like, I am legend. Like I'm going <laughs> to, Go fucking murk these zombies and like yo yo no I New York felt a little bit like it was like twenty five percent of the way to I am legend when I was there. It, it I'm was just saying like I don't think it's there, but like I guess my point is that people should like choice. I guess choice, choice and freedom. Like you should be able to choose how much you want to contribute to like an insurance fund at a local level that you would be able to utilize quickly if you needed it versus like. How hey. would that work? I and and talk to me like an idiot because what and I always say this as like an out front when it comes to healthcare, I feel like an idiot. I I understand my healthcare. Yeah. I and I understand why I think the two political parties have made bad arguments on healthcare. Yeah. I don't understand 
in any way what a potential solution could be. And I've never heard a potential solution that seems to be in within a modicum of like range of actually being able to happen. Yeah. Like I don't pretend to, to have it. Um, but I think the fact that you found it so divisive mm. <laughs> again, like that's the strategy. Like if we're talking about overarching things here, it's like divide and conquer. Yep. It's like confuse people, make them agitated, make them choose sides. Like, I don't know what the answer is on healthcare, but maybe it's more localized. Like maybe there's a healthcare fund for Mulga Hill. That's it. Like maybe people. And people contribute what they want to it. Or a set amount, a small set amount. It's invested properly. I don't have the answer, but paying like a high premium and then having the insurance company face fuck you when you actually need something is definitely not the answer. I agree with the back end of that. And I agree with the front end of like, yeah, no one wants to pay a high premium. And I think it's unfair. Like like someone with a pre-existing con- condition, they didn't they ask. They can't even get it. They didn't ask for that. No. It's not their fault. And why should – like I do agree and I've heard this from both parties on like the – you know, and it's the typical political line. But I agree with the line itself. We don't want people dying in the streets. Right. Exactly. But how do you solve for it so that you create a system where people are okay – picking up some burden for other people who didn't cause that burden. It's like it's one thing if you're in a group project in school and some guy slacks off and goes yeah. and drinks every night. That's different. Somebody's has a pre-existing condition. That's not their fault. Yeah. And they got and they also got to live with that pain and everything. And like as a human being, if I can help them out with that in a small yeah. way and incentivize the system to want to help them out, I want to do that. Yeah. But I don't want to do that to where it creates a very small amount of actors to have to help out everyone else such that they're paying a ridiculous amount and everyone else is just free riding. I think that's where we're at right now, right? I Yeah, it seems that way. So, I don't know. I think that the answer is like some type of reconstruction locally, which is what I, th- I think is the answer for a lot of things. And like you've seen it with Florida, you've seen it with Texas, like the overlords are kind of losing their grip like they're a little there's people like flaring up what what do you mean but you say florida and texas they're examples of overlords not being too overlordy i'm talking about like the federal overlords oh oh like the like the federal government like texas and florida have kind of been like "Eh, go kick rocks yeah so maybe it's like a solution in that vein where like there's just more localized thinking i think there's so many tools in terms of like connectivity SaaS applications like we should be like massively like covid should have been a massive a b test on like human reaction like it should have been boiled down to like municipalities or cities towns like underneath the county level and like we should have let everyone handle it the way they thought was best which is still how it's being handled in terms of like vaccines like you can get a vaccine somewhere but you can't get it you know what i mean yeah so that's how it's handled anyway we should have like crowdsourced it a b tested it we could have learned so much we could have we could have pressure tested the system strengthened it but instead we waited for fucking Donnie to like come out like every Wednesday and tell us it was the greatest. <laughs> listen, listen. We have it totally under control. 
I just want to go on record. Dr. That. Fauci back here. Great guy. Great guy. Take a Tide Pod. We'll be good. <laughs> it's like, dude. I missed the entertainment. The entertainment was, it was great. It, it was A plus. But I, but I will say that during COVID, it was so cringy. It was bad. Like he was the only guy by the way that he acted who could make Fauci not look like a clown. Yeah, that's He bad. managed to do that Yeah, for did. a time there. And then once he got silent, like, you know, then Fauci revealed himself as, you know, I'm, I'm not a Fauci guy. Sorry, people. But like, you know, it's like there was – with Trump, like, forget politically. The unforced errors with him yeah. are stunning. And – my and not you know what fuck it we'll go on this tangent the thing that really bothers me about him and i don't know what happens when you go to washington dc but the one thing you can't take from him when he went into office is that he was an outsider in that way yeah sure he was a billionaire and all this shit he was never accepted in those circles yeah talk to anyone who was in him they're like yeah that fucking guy right which when you're looking at it from like a candidate perspective that's one thing that forget his policies again forget that that's one thing that you could be like Okay, all right. He's not like a he's not completely in that court because mm-hmm. he's not even accepted there. Couldn't be there if he wanted to. But he comes in with this whole drain the swamp thing, and to me, he walked out with his dick between his legs. Yeah, as the representation of the swamp. Like the ultimate example is the lack of the pardons that didn't happen at the end, mm. which is simply pardons, right? It's individuals. It's not whatever. But like. Didn't pardon Snowden, didn't pardon Assange, didn't commute Ross, didn't do any of these things. And then also claim to want to do all these things that take away like the swamp of D.C. like lobbying and stuff. And and he repeals his own executive orders that said like, oh, if you worked in X offices in government, you can't be a lobbyist for X number of years. Repeals them on the way out because now his people were in there. And it's like to me, if you're not like I don't care where you stand politically. When he leaves office and you see that that outsider just went in for four years and you see how he walked out, if you are not pissed off at the political system regardless mm-hmm. of party, if you're not pissed off at the federal system, to say nothing of the fact that you should have been pissed off at every failure of government <laughs> in the COVID response, yeah. then you're not fucking watching. Yeah. You're not paying attention. No. That's a great point. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to add there. It's like... It's an unbelievable system that I'd like to end as quickly as possible. Do you think that Bitcoin and the con- the the quote unquote and I'm labeling I shouldn't be labeling this but for the sake of argument the libertarian concepts of Bitcoin which on the level regardless mm-hmm. of whether I agree with libertarian concepts and I don't agree with all of them in practice but yeah. Let's just say I agree with them when it comes to the general purpose of Bitcoin. Do you think that can be adopted in a system where we have liberals and conservatives? Yeah, like I guess the libertarian angle. Um, I actually think the libertarians are a bunch of fucking LARPing pussies at this point. Um, what's, a, what's a LARPing pussy? Live action role playing fucking <laughs> puss tangs. Um, because like they don't, they don't back Bitcoin. They're attached to gold. They wanna, they wanna like go through the political process. Like we can vote. 
like that doesn't work doesn't work and like if you really understand bitcoin and you're playing chess with this these like establishment knuckleheads the only way to win the game is to fucking flip the board over stand up and be like i'm doing it a different way like you can't win within the current parameters that they set you it is an unwinnable game when people hear all these other coins though I want to bring this right into it because you talk, you've you've hit on altcoins like six times tonight, mm-hmm. and it's an important topic because and you and I have talked about that off air, but like we were both at one point years ago, like mm-hmm. oh maybe XRP is the thing or yeah. whatever, right? Cross border payments. What makes what makes them a part of that system that you want to flip over the board on versus Bitcoin? And like I know, and you and I know, and I think a lot of people listening to this conversation should at least know up front that Bitcoin is truly in the ether, right? Yeah. There's no human around it. That's the obvious point. Yeah, yeah. But then, okay, not to pick on XRP, but let's say XRP just has a company ripple. Please do. <laughs> has a company <laughs> ripple behind it, right? Yeah. What makes them having any type of say over the flow of supply on Ripple? a problem for the system of the people being able to take control just to find that for people you just did they have it they have a say over the supply <laughs> the flow of it that's the problem mm. there should be no central oversight it should be like a free and pure mechanism that you can either engage with mm. or not if anybody is identifiable in terms of policy or direction at like the protocol level, that is a security hole. Because you're, again, fucking with the state's seniorage on money production. They do not take that lightly. Lightly. <laughs> like if XRP somehow is the standard, like some of these fucking crackheads say online. Half of them are Saudi bots, by the way, but okay. Go ahead. What are they doing? They're just like punching away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the free market, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer. That's a great answer. Um, True to form, by the way. <laughs> Salute. I, I would like to think that I'm cohesive in, in certain areas, <laughs> but like, <laughs> there's just if. You can identify somebody in cryptocurrency that can push policy. It's a problem. So that, what? If, what if tomorrow we find out that Satoshi is pump? We're so it's done. Just dust it. We're going to like the FEMA gulags. Like we're done. <laughs> Don't fuck with me, pump. Pump, shut it down. Okay. No, like that. That is. I can't harp on that enough because. That's like Satoshi's gift to the world. It really is like a sacrifice. It's like a, it's some modern day fucking religious shit to like. But to, he does own a good amount. Whoever, or they. Whoever they are like out there. I, I think it's Hal Finney probably. Isn't he dead? Yeah, he got like ALS and like died. Yeah, but like yeah. he was like the first. He He received like the first transaction from Satoshi. Um. But yeah, like that immaculate conception, I think is, you, know, you can't 
recreate that in terms of him figuring out like the Byzantine general's problem, like the double spend, like who comes mm-hmm. first, building off of like Nick Zabo. Can you explain the double spend real fast? That's important. Yeah. So basically like what the Bitcoin hashing algorithm is doing is solving a problem, basically like a mathematical problem. And it's making sure that all the transactions are legitimate and then basically like stamping them into a time chain after they're verified. So think about like an insect in amber, right? Like in this, what? Like, like, like Jurassic Park shit. Like the, in, you know, <laughs> I, I do not follow like even in the slightest and not even in the slightest. All right. No. So like, if you're like, like, uh, like an insect in amber, you know what I mean? No. What is it? Amber? Like I know fucking Amber alert, like fucking Sally down the street's missing. <laughs> No, like, like in Jurassic Park, remember when they get the DNA out of the fucking... Dude, I remember the music from Jurassic Park and Chris Bosh running around fucking killing people. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. It, go gets, ahead. it gets condensed, and it gets, like, pushed down, and it gets, like, it gets crystallized, like, in rock. Like, every transaction gets built upon. So you can't, once a... To bring it back, once it is recorded, it cannot be fraudulently rescinded. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay. So it gets it gets buried in amber. It's like the Jesus Christ. Can you What is amber? I'm gonna pull it up. <laughs> Jamie, pull that up. I've never heard of this unless it was a color or a missing person. Amber the fine. Alright, Google, give me something. Yeah, see? Fossilized resin. No shit. Fucking learn something. I always thought amber was bluish, too. It's like fucking no, it's piss like a, yellow. No, it looks piss yellow. It looks like gold. It looks like Bitcoin. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, shout out, shout, out to the, shout out to the Holy Grail right there. But anyway, so go, go back to the fossilized, like, fucking Jeff Goldblum amber shit. You can't change it. Like, it's just baked in. And so Double Spend says that right now in the legacy financial system, I could technically say that a transaction happened and then launder money on the back end and hypothetically find a way to outsmart the system to get away with it. You That's probably an extreme could. example. Whereas, Whereas in Bitcoin, like, I can't do that. Yeah, because you have so much computing power, like honed in on the network and like it's designed to snuff out fraud so it's like designed to snuff out double spend like it's about keeping everything pure and straightforward and egalitarian and like that's like the beautiful thing about it that's no no when did you like we all saw the well not all of us but a lot of us saw the bubble mm-hmm. in the beginning of 2018 and i I want to go through this because I, I, I can give my own background on that at some point, but I'm more concerned with yours because you've said that at least back then you at least were looking at some altcoins as well and thinking oh, that they could be they could be worth something, whether it's XRP, that's the most common example, but other ones too. What made that change minus the, oh, fuck, we just lost a ton of money in this market, and what made you suddenly be like, okay, this system of... The Jurassic Park and the Amber is much better. 
than um, these other things. Minus and also because you've, in fairness to you, you've already defined minus the fact that there are human beings yeah. attached to these other ones, which is important. But besides that, what else? I think I came like for the money, like everyone else. Mm-hmm. It's like a speculative bubble. Let, um, pull that in a little bit. Um. Yeah, like I think I came for like the speculative bubble. Um, like made, you know, high six figures with like an altcoin <laughs> rush. I was like, I'm a got. Was it Tron? It was. No, come on. It wasn't Tron. It was, come a- on. It was absolutely Tron. Come on. No. It was Tron. It was ICX. Oh, God. I lost like fucking four G's on Tron. That was a lot for me back then. I made a lot of money. Oh, fuck I you! Never really, never really cashed it out. Justin's son, right there, buddy. Anyway, no, nah, I love you, Justin. Fucking knucklehead. I, I love Justin because he at least pushes the space. I'll give him credit for that. But go ahead. <laughs> so you made money on Justin? No, I never cashed it out. So, oh, so I saw it go up, like in terms of Bitcoin value. Oh, yikes! And then. You know, that, that like, 2018 dip, I think I woke up and, like, took a piss one day, and it went from, like, six <laughs> figures to, like, <laughs> to, like, five, and I was, like, holy shit. <laughs> and I woke up, and just, that's, like, come to Jesus moment. Like, like, what are you invested in? Like, what do you think, like, what is your thought process? Like, that was, like, a fundamental, like, redirection of, like, like what are you doing? Like like what are you doing? Um and that's where like I realized I was like directionally correct but not specified enough and that was like the transition to Bitcoin. And when approximately was that? Like end of 2018 official cuz you already own Bitcoin. I I know that, but yeah. going full the question is is here going full Bitcoin and full like that's the belief system and until I get a great argument as to even something else that could possibly exist below it, that is the only thing I'm gonna believe in. Yeah. So this is like twenty eighteen. Okay. Where like I started to figure out like shelling points and like the Lindy effect and like how networks work and I was like, okay, I'm here for the right reasons. I might have fucked up a little bit in terms of like execution but there's still a simple standard that i can take part in and i just went full bitcoin so you moved over all your assets from anything else you were in yeah i mean just for the record here about 99 percent in bitcoin i have very little cash Everything gets converted to Bitcoin. <laughs> I like that because you're you're backing up the talk. I like that a lot. Yeah, like I'm not fucking around, dude. Yeah. Like every day, I'm trying to end the current system every day. <laughs> I'm trying to do it actively. One, one of my favorite tweets of all time was, because you live in Philly, it was every day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I walk past Independence Hall and I bow. And I then do. I and then I walk past the mint and I give a I give a middle finger. <laughs> I do. That's true. That's a religious experience. Dude, like like my vision is for 
Philadelphia to like be the birthplace of like a new there's no reason that like Philadelphia can't be the most Bitcoin friendly city in the world. Like Francis Suarez is doing it in Miami. Like let's let's bring him back to like the birthplace of America. Like walking around Philadelphia, like seeing those buildings, like thinking about those discussions that happen there, like I find it to be powerful and I, th- I think it should be inspiring to people that like there's a different way to do things and like those buildings were built and those buildings are like s- have significance because those fucking guys didn't want to pay a 3% t- <laughs> like tax like we have strayed from fucking God's light like they didn't want to pay a 3% tax and now we sit here and take a bunch of bullshit but like the things that they like built and the structures and the documents, like I find it like really inspiring to like walk by. And like, I, I enjoy walking by it every day. Like it makes me think about where we can go. Like I, like I don't want to come off as like pessimistic here. Like I know I have some critiques of like the current system, but like really feel like optimistic about, what is possible via Bitcoin and technology and like what people are building. Like I think we can build a new American revolution based off of clean energy optimization, a Bitcoin standard and just I love, I love like talking going. to your fucking neighbor. Those are that, like, <laughs> that's my, that was actually in fairness. I made fun of you for the first tweet that I loved, but I wasn't making fun of it. I loved it. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> like the whole bowing and shit, but you had another tweet in there. You just reminded me of it, of like, you have a lot, you said something, I'm paraphrasing, of like, you have a lot more in common with your neighbor than you think. And so your political divides that separate you are not the real thing that separates. It was something like that. And yeah. it was so fucking spot on because I think it does come back to what you introduced early in this conversation, which is this top-down system that's fucking people is causing us to look in all the wrong places. And the thing that we have in common is the thing that's fucking us. Yeah. It's like that red ant, black ant thing. Probably seen it on Instagram. It's like The well, what? It's like if you like put like a group of like red ants and black ants into like a cup, shake them up, they'll fight each other. Yeah. But like if you never did, they'd be fine. Like, it's if you just went out and like talked to your neighbors, that's what I'm talking about when I say like think local. Like, just go knock on your neighbor's door. Just be like, what's up? Buy Bitcoin. (laughs) Buy Bitcoin for sure. Cash app. Um, no, but like they want the powers that be want everyone to feel different, but like we're all human at like a certain level. Like we all have this like shared experience. And I, I feel like, like the last year has been trying to separate that. Like everyone's experience is different. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think it's, it varies. Like, I think it's, like, everyone has a different experience, but I think there are fundamental themes that we can all relate on, and those are being, like, torn apart, be it, like, family structure, belief. Like, we're all we're all closer to each other than is being currently portrayed. Yep. Does that make any sense? 
hundred <laughs> percent. And I want to tie it back to something you said earlier, where you talked about like how there's this, and I'm restating what you said. You didn't say this exactly this way, but correct me if I'm wrong as how you meant it. There's like this disincentivization of belief in God and shit yeah. like that. And they believe in the state. What you're not saying, I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you have to, you got to fucking believe in God. What you are saying is that people have a right to believe what they want to believe and find comfort in the things they want to find comfort in. And the fact that someone else finds comfort in something different than you does not make you, does not make them wrong or, or you right or vice versa. Yeah. So to tie it back, I think what you're saying is that if you can unite under one commonality of people having control over one thing that's important in their life, which is money, which in this case you believe to be Bitcoin, I agree with you there, you can find more common day-to-day things that make your differences not matter a hell of a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's dead on. Did you see that there's a guy on, on Twitter who's like very – I don't even want to stay an opinion on him because like it just makes me think <laughs> and I don't – I probably disagree with a lot of shit he says but like I have to read it every time and then I probably agree with a lot of shit he says. But there's this this dude, Hotep Jesus. On, I, yeah, I've seen him. Yeah, and he did have one of his tweets that I just thought he nailed. It was a, It was a couple months ago. Where he said, the way to, and I'm paraphrasing, but the way to keep a class divide system in place is to divide the lower classes by certain political or identity Mm -hmm. beliefs and make them think they're enemies when, to distract them from fighting against the common enemy, which is the people who hold the power. Yeah. And I think that – and he didn't intend it this way, but on top of many other meta themes that that touches that he's right about, in my opinion. He's 100 percent right. I think he he is making an argument for Bitcoin more than <laughs> anything else. I, I really did take that away. I mean I guess if you haven't taken away the theme from this, everything's an argument for, for Bitcoin. But no, I think – look, he's he's kind of like a lightning rod on Twitter. Um but it's good that he is. Yeah. Like there's makes you think. Like even I'm risk averse. Mm-hmm. Even I'm saying whatever. Ninety nine percent Bitcoin <laughs> risk averse, baby. I love it. I mean shouts out to Mia. Thanks for I was gonna say holding... does, does your wife approve of this? <laughs> she does. Yeah, we can definitely go over that. Um another time. I think no, she's she was like, I mean, she knows I'm fucking crazy. She knows who I am. So yeah, that's good. She likes that. For crazy me. is good. We need crazy in this world. I think we do. I think we need, I think like thoughtful is crazy now. <sighs> that's a quote. <laughs> like. I'm going to use that. I will it. trademark you. Yeah. I'll trademark you. Thoughtful uh, is crazy. I don't need, like, we should be constantly pushing the boundaries of everything like mm-hmm. i feel like that came to that's my problem with like covid more than than anything like substantive in terms of people movement or anything like i dislike the like the intellectual stagnation that's now accepted 
Like I just I just don't like that. It's a good way of putting it. It's like yeah, I just don't, I, I don't know. What do you think? Like, I, I just. I talk about that a lot on this show. And I've, and what I'm thankful for is I have guests from across the political spectrum who, regardless of where they are, whether they're like left or right or somewhere fucked up in between, yeah. like you and me, <laughs> like they all have thought that. And it gives me some hope because we. Look, we see the loudest voices on on the Twitters of the world and the Instagrams. We see the hard left and the hard right, and they don't they don't want any of that. Yeah, but there are a lot of people out there who could even be on firmly on one side or the other who do want some of that, you know. And and I always use these examples, and I will forever because they're great. But Terrence Jones and Mike Spear, who come from left and right ideologies respectively, they do want that. Mm-hmm. They like that conversation, and they prove it by coming in here. And having a long form conversation, but yeah. a lot of people don't do that. And so, you know, the, like the two of them, I think, in a room together as leaders would be great. They'd fucking piss each other off all day. But there's an extent to which they could be like, "All right, yeah, I see it. I see yeah. it like that. Okay, all right, that's a fair argument. Let's let's meet halfway on this." And we don't have much of that. And so, when I see systems like, "Hey, let's question the money," it does make me think like maybe that's a commonality. We can find maybe that's something where people can say, you know what, I, I do get behind that belief, and that that is where I run into issue with certain Bitcoiners being like pro censorship and shit. I think stuff like that is counterintuitive. I think they miss the the concept of who's what, being pro censorship. Do I need to say it? Yeah, definitely. Who runs the platform? We're fucking big, and, and I'm. You know what? Who Jack? Yeah, with Jack, and I've said this. I think on he's the a record. hostage. I agree. I've said this on the record. I don't think Jack is calling the shots. I think he's a woke idol and a hostage. Because I, I, I actually disagree with the first part, but go ahead. Yeah, let me rephrase that. Um, putting the block clock behind his right shoulder for a congressional hearing, I think he's held hostage by the board. Agreed. I think it's more than that, but I agree. What do you think it's about? I think it's a man in a black hat. I do. And and I don't I don't give a fuck if, if people say tinfoil hat. If you don't consider the fact that there is crazy shit out there beyond your control and institutionalized systems that have a certain way of going, which I accept to yeah. some degree. Which by the way, some people will now say, like, fuck you for doing that. I don't give a shit. Whatever. If you don't think, though, that that can go to potentially evil spots and force people to do things uncharacteristically of who they are, you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah, we took- And he has never struck me. I look at actions. His actions in the past have never struck me as a pro-censorship guy. And yet no. everything that's happened in the last six months, even if like some things that he was censoring, I disagree with, which I frankly, I disagree with pretty much all of it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make it right because I believe in the slippery slope and the slippery slope is fucking terrifying. I mean, we're down it. We're down it. Yeah. We're down the slippery slope. And I guess I'm very comfortable going on record here that I feel like freedom of speech is we're in jeopardy. It is. People argue about the Second Amendment and I'm a big Second Amendment guy. Dave Chappelle had the best, has the best take on that. What's that? He said the Second Amendment is there in case the first doesn't work out. 
I've heard that. I didn't know that was him that invented that, but that's great. I mean, he's a fucking genius. So. But I will come back and say it might be right. And for all the right reasons, it might be wrong because with all due respect to the Second Amendment, which I do agree with him, does protect the first. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've jumped the jumped the shark here and gone to that first. And if we lose the first, the Second Amendment almost doesn't matter. I'm concerned about the First Amendment. Yeah. Yeah. You um, and I share that. I'm like deeply... Deeply, deeply concerned. All right. I'm not going to touch that because we got to wrap up. This has been awesome. We're going to do this again. (laughs) The takeout is downstairs. I'm sure it's been there for a while. Let's eat it. We went through a full blade in boy. It was good. It was good. I've never had this. It was great. We went through a full one of those. We talked about life, Bitcoin, and the pursuit of happiness. That's how it should be. Thanks for having me, dude. Dude, pleasure. We didn't even get to what you do, which is some wild shit, so... Hold off. Don't say anything. We'll come back. He'll be in here in a few months. But uh, Matt Kamenosh, thank you, bro. Dude, thanks, Julian. Good to Uh, see you. Everybody else, give it a thought. Get back to me. (laughs) Peace.